I am a god, you dull creature! We are not doing Get Help. I have been falling for 30 minutes! I assure you, brother, the sun will shine on us again. I'm just a huge fan of the sport. Can't see into the future, I'm not a witch. No? Why'd you dress like one? I am Loki of Asgard. Puny god. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo. We've got the, the, the sound man himself, the Lord. Chris is here with us. We've got writer extraordinaire Robbie with us. The Peachsicle wasn't able to make it today, but we do have a wonderful, wonderful guest in his place. We've got Marvel fan extraordinaire, Assembly Required number one fan, Patrick. Patrick, what's going on, buddy? Oh, wow. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, I don't know where you got Marvel fan number one from, but that's... that's, that's <laughs> well, let's get into that now. then. Uh, Patrick, before we, we let you be part of the show, we first have to know what your top five MCU movies are in order. Okay. I'm in the middle of a rewatch right now, and um, I'm going to go... Endgame number one. Oh, should I start with number five or number one? Well, I already said number one. Too so late. Endgame number one. <laughs> We're going top to bottom. Endgame Can number one. Can you go one? one, five, two, three, or two, oh, four? that's and similar to the correct two. order to watch the movies in. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that is true. Absolutely. Um, no, Endgame number one, Infinity War number two, Guardians volume two, three. Hell yeah! Yeah! <laughs> I was surprised I both during just the threw rewatch. our arms in the air. I, <laughs> I was super surprised during the rewatch how much I love that movie. Um, yes! Patrick and, is on uh, every episode now. <laughs> All right. Well, ready for number four because uh, I wasn't prepared for this either, but Black Panther, number four. And then I have Homecoming, number five. You're just making, and Peach isn't here. You're making everyone happy. <laughs> I, except like an America fans because I, I had Civil War up there. I don't know how it le- left the top five, but. I think that happened with all of us. I think yeah. all of us had Civil War. You know what it was? Higher it was, um, than it ended up being. It was uh, Winter Soldier for me. I had Winter Soldier. That's I thought I, I would have Winter Soldier at the top. And the You're more right. we did and the more we watched, I was like, I don't like right. Civil- or Winter Soldier as much as I thought I did. You're right. I was I, thinking of Winter Soldier. Civil War is probably six for me. But right, yeah, Patrick, those well, are my top five right now. So, <laughs> Well, how did you get started in the Marvel? Were you a comics fan? Are you just in the movies? How did you yeah. start? Not at all. I mean, I grew up liking Batman and DC more than anything, but I was very familiar with Marvel, very unfamiliar with Marvel, rather, outside of like Marvel Superhero Island, Islands of Adventure, and uh, Spider-Man Cartoon Maker, which I know uh, some of you guys yes. played as you're oh, that's that all I, the time. Um, I'm so I did happy want, right now. Yeah, I love that game so much. I put so many hours into that as a kid. <laughs> it was great. Um, I watched each movie in the theater as they were released. I was honestly a bit unimpressed with them the first time around. Um, I did enjoy uh, a few of them very much, namely the Guardian series and uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, it was Infinity, Infinity War when that came out. It's like something clicked inside of me and I realized that uh, I was wrong. So um, <laughs> last, last year, um, I started a rewatch with my wife who saw some of the movies, but um, was seeing a lot of the stuff for the first time. We're watching in release date order, of course. Um, we're up to Ant-Man and the Wasp, um, and I'm, I'm just super excited to get to Endgame because I'm, I haven't actually seen it since the theater, which I saw it three times in the theater. Oh, okay. so, um, but, wow. <laughs> but I'm, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, but uh, I also uh, you know, enjoy listening to you guys talk about the comic book history with each uh, podcast that you release, um, and it inspired me to sign up for Marvel Unlimited, uh, which has been amazing so far. 
Um, my favorite so far is the Immortal Hulk series. I don't know if you guys had a chance to. Yes, read that, I haven't read all of it, but yeah. that is very good stuff. I'm only like 10, 10 issues in, but it is uh, incredible and a little scary, yeah. <laughs> which I wasn't expecting. So yeah, no, it's like a it. straight up horror comic. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. What it's such an interesting take on the Hulk. Yeah, so I, I didn't expect to uh, begin uh, reading comics this year, but here we are. Awesome. It's been awesome. It's been really good. Good journey. So, and I, I really appreciate the podcast because it's helping me get more and more into it. So Immortal Hulk is ending soon, and the creative team from Immortal Hulk is taking over Venom, and the creative team from Venom is taking over Hulk. Oh my god, so Venom is what wow. I've been reading. Yeah, <laughs> I've been reading the, the, the Kate's Venom run, and it is incredible it is some of the best stuff that i've read in a really long time and so i'm re- that's really cool that uh that they're moving over to hulk i do think it's interesting that it feels to me it feels like all of you involved with this podcast including patrick um have ended up in a place where you're now way out reading me on comic books than i think i was uh, <laughs> sound lord as well but i i had read oh you definitely more than me coming into this, this show and then at this point i feel way outclassed by you guys because I haven't kept up. I haven't kept up and I don't have a Marvel now, which I should. Um, so I, I, which that makes me happy though, because to me that says that this podcast has both the people on it and the people listening have been inspired to read a lot of good comic book stories by the show. And that makes me extremely happy. Comics you know, and are it's, fun, man. I yeah. also I find, I find your story interesting. I was just talking to my sister earlier today and I yeah. promise this relates, but she was talking about how she was also doing a Marvel rewatch because she had seen some of the movies, was also not super impressed, and then watched WandaVision and loved it so much that she has now gone back and rewatched all the way through. She, she's right up to Ragnarok right now, okay. and she's enjoying it way more than when she originally watched. That's awesome. WandaVision is just the best. I'm glad it's able to inspire new fans like that. Yeah, it's, just it's really good. Show. And I, I hope Loki does the same thing, because Loki has Same. also been fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I've loved Loki so far. It's, yeah. been, it's been amazing. We may have said this on the Wanda, on one of the WandaVision episodes, but I have really enjoyed the return of quote unquote water cooler shows. Like it has been mm-hmm. extremely fun showing up to work and having people just want to talk about the show they watched this week. And that's, that's something that had been missing for a while. And, you know, yes, we talked about Stranger Things, but you know, you had kind of had to wait until everyone had watched the whole series and now that with with this and the Mandalorian and with WandaVision, it's been extremely exciting to know that this week at work, people are going to want to talk about this episode. And I, I that's you know that was a, a basically a touchstone of American culture that kind of for understandable reasons sort of faded away, and I think has come back in a really exciting way. Yeah, I feel the same way. Sometimes I go over into the dining room and I see my coworker Bailey there, and we are like, "Oh my god, did you watch the episode that we watched together?" Yeah, I guess Patrick and I are, are uncommon now in that we are not work from home people. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that part of it. Yeah. Also, the Wednesday release date works out a lot better for me because uh, I can watch it right away and talk about it the next day with people at work. Whereas yeah. uh, with oh, the Friday no. release date, I had to tell people I haven't seen it yet. I don't get to watch it till Sunday, so please don't spoil it. No, nope, no, nope. Thursdays are terrible for me. It's just like, nope, don't talk to me. No, do not talk to me. <laughs> I'll tell you from a podcast scheduling uh, standpoint, it sucks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine. imagine. But other than that, I actually like the Wednesday. Uh, I've I've discovered that I don't know if having it show up in the middle of the week just really like makes the week feel shorter. It makes Mm -hmm. the wait between episodes feel shorter too. Mm -hmm. 
been mm-hmm. helped out because I, I've also been watching Bad Batch, which is dropping on Friday. So I've got two shows a week. Um, that's only going to last through through the end of August, though. Or... I need to do that. I've been told that I need to watch Bad Batch. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, actually, uh, <laughs> I have thoughts that actually relate to Bad Batch, uh, but I will bring it up later because it actually ties in one of my points, believe it or not. Uh, which is something I realized watching this week's episode. Is it about Nordic mythology? No. Oh, okay. No, but that would be cool. No, just just episodes being different from other episodes. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I'll see if I remember to bring it up. Try to remind me. <laughs> okay. I'll just say Bad Batch after every sentence that Eduardo says. That works. Well, before we get started, I want to let everybody listening know that you can support this very show here by going over to patreon.com slash assembly required. That's right. Patreon.com slash assembly required is where you can go. We are supported by listeners just like you. So if you want to come support the show, join our discord, be a part of all of our events, come chat with us and tell us your immediate thoughts. And we'll talk to you there. Uh, Join on over and join the discord. But today we're going to be talking all about the finale of Loki episode six for all time, always. It's written by Michael Waldron and Eric Martin. It's also directed by Kate Heron, who sadly will not be returning for season two. And I don't know how I feel about that. I'm sad. Like, I don't think yeah, it's a good too. feeling. <laughs> no. I'm Wait. sure they'll get a talented director, but I, I always like it when they can kind of keep the team together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where's she okay. going? She's. She said she had other projects lined up. Something and... more important than a major Marvel franchise? Wow. <laughs> well, my so my my fan theory, which we're very good at, we're, we're constantly accurate with these, is Absolutely. Loki season two was not confirmed in time for her to not move on and do other things with her life. So that's that's kind of what she said in in, in the interview. I oh, saw got it. it. Okay. So yeah, it's like she's like, well, we were making it. We did, we weren't really thinking about a season two. That means it was a Nork. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. With it's been a long, long time playing over a series of famous MCU quotes, the Marvel logo comes and goes, fading into a visual representation of the sacred timeline beyond the castle-mounted asteroid found at the end of Episode 5. It's so interesting. We get all these quotes. Do you guys watch this with the subtitles turned on? On yes. the rewatch, I did. On the rewatch. Uh, you find out who some of these voices are there. One of them is Greta Thurn- Thurnberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are like it's a lot of the famous like uh, like physicists and scientists and astronomers. Yeah. Nelson Mandela, mm-hmm. uh, Malala, Malala. I'm sorry if I'm saying her name wrong. I, she probably doesn't listen to our show, but <laughs> oh, oh, maybe she does. I don't know. I never asked her. I've never also, what her. an interesting. I didn't. I had never thought that they would ever change the the Marvel opening. Uh, and it doesn't seem like it's a one-off thing because it doesn't really tie in necessarily to Loki, mm-hmm. right? Right. It seems like it will be their opening crawl for the future. Maybe I'm wrong. What? I oh. don't think that. I think that they were playing that because the, when when we cut to the camera, it's now like moving through the timeline, so we're getting snippets. Oh, of... interesting. Maybe. That was kind of how I interpreted it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's also what I got out of it. Oh, yeah. well, I was very confused. <laughs> <then>. <laughs> Sylvie and Loki stand at the entrance of the castle with Sylvie emotional over reaching the moment she's been preparing for her entire life. 
before the doors open. Once inside, the two were jump-scared by Miss Minutes, speaking on behalf of He Who Remains. She offers them a deal, reinsert them both on the timeline where Loki gets to rule the Nine Realms with the Infinity Gauntlet, and Sylvie gets a lifetime of happy memories. I have a quick question. Is this the first time they've ever actually said Infinity Gauntlet in the MCU? It might be. I can't think of another time. Yeah. Yeah, the MCU really likes having things and not saying, like, giving them a name. Uh, Like, for example, like, Black Widow. When is she ever called Black Widow? I can think of only, like, three times, and they weren't even in the first time she was actually in a movie. Right. Right. And the the first time was in Russian. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, They never say Hawkeye. He says Hawkeye. Um, Yeah, and his wife says Hawkeye. They never say Kang. Well, (laughs) they will. Uh, Okay, so this is one of those instances where they never actually give someone a name or give something a name, and then someone else says it later, and you're just supposed to know. Like um, Thanos talking about the Maw. Uh, The Maw died. Uh, My favorite is Spider-Man mentioning Captain Marvel, who has never been called Captain Marvel in any of her appearances yeah, this is just another one of those in- instances. So it's interesting that she uses the word words "infinity gauntlet." Mm-hmm. This this offer by Miss Minutes struck me as um, interesting because he had to know that they would reject the offer. Like this was part of the journey as well, right? Yeah, I found that fascinating. Well, yeah, he had to get them there. He he needed that was like their last. What it felt like was their last like test, right? Right. Like their last, your your last uh, off ramp, your last get out of jail free card. But he knew they wouldn't take it. Right, but he still had to go through the motion yeah. of offering it. It feels like it should have been harder for Loki and Sylvie. Yeah, I don't necessarily. I I disagree because I don't think it should have been harder for Sylvie because Sylvie's only goal has always just been to finish mm-hmm. that. And I think because more of Loki's Loki, transformation mm-hmm. during the show, and more important than anything, Loki having the knowledge that the Infinity Gauntlet isn't actually the end-all be-all of power in the cosmos mm-hmm. makes him want that oh, less. Yeah. Right. Okay. And especially on rewatch, I kind of interpreted this whole thing with Miss Minutes as basically being like the final test. Because he talks about, so he who remains is later going to talk about you can't, reach the destination until you've been changed by the journey. Like yeah, he yeah. Set, the reason his path was not just bring them to his castle and ask them to take over, but to do all this stuff was he was trying to set them down the path of becoming the people he thought they needed to be for the final event here. And I, I interpret on rewatch this Miss Minutes moment as being like, are they going to do the easy thing or is it more important to them that they come find me now? Uh, that's just kind of how I took it. Okay. Yeah, I can accept that. You ever think about, not ever, but have you thought about how Doctor Strange's uh, motivations in Infinity War and Jonathan Major's, uh, the he who remains motivations here are kind of similar, how they're like, if it happens any other way, it won't happen how it's supposed to, and people, right. it'll be worse if we do it any other way. Yep, that makes sense. Interesting. Interesting mm-hmm. that Doctor Strange is once again tied to yeah. all of this. Mm-hmm. Loki declines, saying they both now write their own destiny. After rejection, Miss Minutes leaves to find Ravona Renslayer researching the founding of the TVA. Miss Minutes gives her something he thinks she'll find more useful. Renslayer asks who he is, and Miss Minutes simply leaves saying, Happy reading. In the Castle of Time, Loki and Sylvie are greeted by He Who Remains, 
casually arriving in an elevator, seemingly excited to see Loki arrive in his castle. Two Loki. Loki. Two Lokis. <laughs> the Loki. Technically, we were told it is Lokis. Because they used Lokis. the plural Loki yeah, in this right. episode. No, it was did. Lokis. You're right. So when the elevator doors opened, you all were still expecting King Loki, right? Yes. Okay. I know you're probably going to touch on that later, but yeah. uh, I was expecting Casey from episode one, but not mm. really. Because <laughs> KC, Kang the Conqueror, right? That's what, that's what right? I was told. Right? That's what I was told. I had to throw that out there just in case it came true. <laughs> uh, that's clever. You throw yeah. everything at the wall and hope something sticks. Uh-huh. Those doors open and I was like, oh, so we're doing this. Like, this is where mm-hmm. we're going. Yep. I'm going to be honest with our listeners right now. Those doors opened and I found myself a little disappointed and we'll kind of go over my roller coaster of emotions and I think some other roller coaster of emotions with this episode in particular. But at the very beginning, when these doors opened, I was like, oh no. Oh no. Uh, I, that was kind of my reaction was like, oh no, please don't do what I think you're doing. Uh, did they do what I think they were doing? We're going to find out. Uh, for anyone doing their MCU casting homework, the shot plays as a reveal payoff with He Who Remains being played by Kang actor Jonathan Majors. I want to uh, just cut at this point because I think mm-hmm. my big problem, one of my big problems with this episode is this right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this idea that you need to have prior information to fully mm-hmm. enjoy what's happening in this episode more so than I feel like any Marvel thing has happened before. Like uh, if you don't know who Jonathan majors, that Jonathan majors was cast as, uh, as King, the conqueror, Mm -hmm. you maybe might've even enjoyed this more, at least as far as a reveal is concerned, but then might've been very confused a little later when he's talking about who he is and sort of his importance. Like you would have reacted to it maybe a little differently. Now, I don't know if it's necessarily for better or for worse, um, but it definitely changes how you view this if you know the Jonathan Majors casting beforehand. I can speak to that because I did not know who Jonathan Majors was. I remember us saying that we knew who... So I don't spend a lot of time on the casting stuff because I, I do like going in fresh, which is not good for someone who does an MCU podcast. Um, I mean, I, I would much rather not know. Yeah, so I'll I don't... right now. I don't usually do that. I don't usually go into casting and I don't usually figure out who's what... And we had talked about how Kang was cast. And I remember you guys, I actually do remember you guys saying the name Jonathan Majors. But I didn't like go look up and like, who is Jonathan Majors? Have I ever watched him in anything? Do I recognize him? And I did not, I don't, I didn't recognize him. I sure do now and I will forever now. But mm-hmm. I, I didn't know who he was. So the door opened and it's this dude in a suit. My brain immediately goes to, okay, I'll bet you that's Kang and that's the guy who was cast as Kang. So my brain went there immediately, but I didn't have confirmation. I didn't have a reveal moment of, Oh shit, it's Kang. Here it is. Like I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um I think I, I'm kind of illustrating exactly what Eduardo was saying. And for me it was more I stopped paying attention to the episodes. I pick up my phone, I'm like, is that the guy? And start Googling, like, you know, is this the dude? And of course, very quickly I found out it was, and that then I realized what they were doing here, and I was kind of got to where Eduardo is, but it had the result of taking me out of the film of having to figure out, is this what I think it is, what's happening here? And maybe, maybe it's cool, but I feel like just like Eduardo said, I think it was requiring too much, too much understanding of how the MCU sausage is made, if you will, because that moment is not played to be, here's just a dude and we'll explain the dude going forward. That moment is played as though you are supposed to be 
shocked by what you're seeing and excited well, by I just, what you're I seeing. I disagree completely. Really? No, yeah, I, I think it was, I, I kind of agree with Chris because on second watching, when those doors open and you see Loki and Sylvie with their swords up, it's meant to be a very dramatic reveal and then it's just some dude sitting there. I think that is the intention. Interesting. But I think the casting announcements definitely altered the way that scene played out, at least in my eyes. Yeah. No, I because uh, I I have one friend who said that he's glad he knew Jonathan Majors was cast as Kang for Ant-Man because he got to be like, oh my gosh, that's him. Whereas I have another friend who said, I wish I didn't know because I would have liked to have had that information revealed to me over the course of the episode. So I don't think that it was supposed to be like, oh my God, there's Kang. It's just, we are the kind of people who have been talking about Kang for six weeks now. Interesting. Uh, and we are the kind of people who knew that Kang has been cast. But I think for people who didn't know, it's a, it's a strange reveal, but it's not meant to be like, holy crap, I can't believe it's him. It's, gonna, it's supposed to be, who the hell is this guy? Right. And then yeah. he explains who he is. And if you know the comics, you're like, oh, oh, so he, he's mm-hmm. he's a Kang variant. I get mm-hmm. it. Um, and if you don't know the comics, you're like, okay, I know what this guy has told me, and that's all I need to know for this right now. But because we are the kind of people who, by necessity at this point with this podcast, have mm-hmm. to overthink this, it plays differently to us. Right. But I okay. don't think it was intended to. Interesting. Because I don't think it was ever intended for... I don't think they ever actually announced him as Kang. It's just one of those things that got reported by the trades. Interesting. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. I think I think I'm very in a very specific situation of being like the wrong person to know how that scene was supposed to go because I knew Kang was cast and kind of expected him to show up in this episode, mm-hmm. but didn't necessarily know who was cast or what he looked like. So I, I was taken out of it kind of a bit. I, I think I'd be interested in hearing from someone who probably doesn't listen to this podcast, someone who has no awareness of King the Conqueror, no awareness of Jonathan Majors, just enjoyed this for what it was. So, Patrick. Yeah, I, I had no awareness outside of what you guys have already talked about, Kang, but mm-hmm. honestly, I, I didn't have much awareness of who Kang was, uh, the actor that played him, anything. So uh, when the elevator doors opened, um, it was kind of like uh, the beloved mo- movie, uh, The Matrix Reloaded. You guys mm-hmm. remember when Morpheus goes in and sees the architect and you're like, who the hell yes. is this guy? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's happening here. But um, it was still like fascinating enough for me to want to know more and want to know his backstory. So I was still very excited having um, no prior knowledge of what was going okay. on. Hmm. It's funny you say that because I do vividly remember when I saw Matrix Reloaded and like assuming I somehow missed something because that moment was like, no, this dude's important, but I'm, and he is important, but the movie plays it like it's oh, like you're supposed to go, wow, it's the architect. <laughs> um, I had a couple other thoughts on this same shot as well. Uh, first off, or this kind of this reveal, I think I know Patrick's answer given what he just said, but Eduardo and Chris, were y'all aware of He Who Remains before this? I was not. Same. I, I am now. Same. 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 Okay. Good. Somehow, in all the research for this show, I never actually got around to who founded the TVA yeah, in the comics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I had. Um, that said, I've read a lot of, maybe not a lot, but I had absolutely read stories with Immortus. Um, and so there, it was cool. It's funny. It, it's one of those things that I don't. Would you like to explain both of those characters for our listeners? Cause, yeah. So um, yeah. he who remains in the comics is 
basically exactly what he is in this. He's the dude at the end of time running the TVA. Um, he, uh, if I remember, if I remember correctly from my research, and y'all correct me with anything, I be- but he, I believe he's the last surviving TVA agent yes. who then creates the Timekeepers, yes. who create the TVA, and then the universe starts again. And I think and just in an endless cycle. Found by the Timekeepers or finds the Timekeepers? Like they're actual. If I remember correctly, they're actual aliens in the comics. But, okay. Um, but yes, yeah, similar similar concept here, um, and then Immortus. It's also basically what we see of this Kang. Immortus is uh, a version of Kang who, uh, you know, so I've, I've absolutely read Immortus stories, but now everything is running together in my head because of this episode. Well, that's the problem um, with Kang anyway. Right. And, <laughs> yes, and correct. The, and the various Kang variants. Yes. I, um, I guess if we want to be precise, he's a Nathaniel Richards variant. Yes. Kang is a specific one. And there are yeah, multiple right, Kangs, right. that's a good way of putting but... <laughs> You want to tell everyone the Kangs real quick? Because oh, there's also, well. there's, yeah, there's Iron Lad. Yeah, um, Iron Lad, uh, who is a young Avenger, which we've talked a lot about the young Avengers uh, mm-hmm. during the Disney Plus shows. Mm-hmm. So there's Iron Lad, who was a Nathaniel Richards who saw the future. Kang came to him, tried to convince him to be a Kang. And he's like, I don't want to be a Kang. I'm going to be a hero. And that's why he became Iron Lad. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a Mortis, who I believe lives right. at the end of time. Yes. Uh, just beyond Eliath. Yes, and he's trying to keep. Basically, he's he is he does have uh, he who remains motivations here, and and Immortus also is involved with the Timekeepers, which yes makes this a very natural. What they did here is very natural, and that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah, it's another um, one of those mashup characters that right. the MCU does, right. like Sylvie and Loki and yeah. Enchantress, and yes. no one no yes. one's going to argue with me about that, right? Um. <laughs> <laughs> So right, so Immortus is Immortus is weary of the, the the battle of knowing that there's other versions of himself out there and trying to keep things under control. Um, and so they took those characters and they put them together, which I thought was really smart. It's just mm-hmm. as I'm watching this, I was thinking, okay, is this this is Immortus, right? So this isn't actually Kang, this is Immortus. And then, but they keep using this name, and then I would look up the name, I'm like, oh, this is a dude. Like they just took this dude and just combined these two dudes in a way that. Mm-hmm. Having never read anything with He Who Remains, having read some stuff with Immortus, it seems like the the mashup is very natural and made a lot of sense. Um, yeah, but the costume is pretty much Immortus. Yes, um, yeah, minus yes. the weird headgear that right. attaches minus the weird to the headgear. Cape. Yeah, but but like the purple cloak, the green yes. outfit, the symbol on his chest. It's, yep, the weariness. Um, yeah, yeah, like it's 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 Immortus. Yes, so I thought that was interesting. I I'm a little sad. I I, I get it. I'm a little sad that the name Kang was never at any point said in this episode, even just as a nice bone to, to excited fans. Yeah, we know what's going on, but I still would have been cool to hear Kang. That said, I geeked out, geeked out when he said that he's known by many names and said a conqueror. That was the moment, that was the moment I bought into what was happening here. Mm-hmm. And then I know we're going to talk about this more, but as soon as I did that search and as soon as I realized, yeah, this is the guy that's playing Kang, that's Kang or a version of Kang. As soon as I got there, I had this realization of, so this episode is doing exactly what we said they can't do and will be disappointing if they do in our podcast about episode five. And I thought that was just such a shocking thing for me to realize, oh, we were exactly what we said can't happen is happening. And yet, and I know we'll talk about this more, I think they handled it better than I, I I think it handled, I thought there's no way you can do this because it will not work out. And then I think, I I, I have some criticisms that we'll get to in this episode, but I think it worked out. They did better than I thought they would, so... Mm -hmm. It, it was shocking in a lot of ways, I guess, which is probably cool. 
yeah. Just some watching, thoughts I had on the elevator reveal. I was watching a Twitch streamer the other day, and they do like a weekly Marvel talk with some of their friends, and they were talking about the last episode, and they were like talking about how they had mentioned that's where I had first heard he who remains because they're like, we think it's either he who remains or it's Kang at the end of this. And when I tell you guys that I sat from my computer seat and was like, Oh, these idiots, they have no idea. They have, there's no way it's Loki. It's King Loki. We all know. I was so sure. I was so sure. And then these doors open and I was like, Whoa, I was wrong. I wasn't sure, and I think I kind of expressed that last episode. I wasn't sure. I thought it might just end up being Kang, but I thought that will be garbage if they do it. And so my doubt came from just thinking, no, they won't do something garbage. And I was right. They didn't do something garbage. It's just the thing that I thought you can't possibly write this and have it not be garbage. They found a way to do it. Yeah, I had a similar take where I was like, thematically, it only makes sense this way. And if you Mm -hmm. do it any other way, it doesn't make sense. And I think... They found a different way to figure that out. Chris, is, Chris mm-hmm. and I are going to talk about that a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's my that was my original thought. I'm glad I was proven wrong in some ways. Um, yeah, yeah, I thought I thought that was a a good theory. I had listened to that take after having seen episode six, and I still thought you were right. <laughs> <laughs> it made sense. It made really good, really perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, this is why we're not screenwriters. Although, you know, Tom Lord is a successful comic writer. Um, and I had one other question on, on this, and this is not at all, not at all a criticism or anything. Just trying to think about how get a sense of how we feel about this. Why did he who remains need the timekeepers? Why? So he tells the story, his story of how he did everything and why he did everything. And I guess what I don't understand is why it couldn't just have been like the story that Miss Minutes says about the multiversal war when Loki's standing in line in episode one. That story is mostly uh, true. Is is mostly true. It's just with these fake aliens instead of just like why is not he not the timekeeper or he who remains? I, I'm and that, to me that's not a problem. It could even just be in be he's irrational and he made robots for no reason. I don't care. I don't think it's a flaw in the story or anything. I'm just trying to piece through my head why did he use the timekeepers as a fake front instead of himself? There's the easy answer, which is it wouldn't have happened if he did it any other way. That's the, that is maybe the easiest way. I think more yeah. so if he, there would have been someone at the TVA who they thought was the reason for all of the problems, why are you pruning anyone and not just going and taking this guy out every chance you get? And I think that's to me makes more mm-hmm. sense of more self-preservation than anything. He, the, the idea is to save the timeline, not just kill every Nathaniel Richards every time they show up in the timeline. That makes sense. And he did say that he was keeping secrets from the TVA as well. Right. So we still don't know 100% what his deal was. And maybe maybe he decided that it's easier to come up with these, mm-hmm. you know, three important beings. Mm-hmm. And people will be more willing to kind of believe that than one guy right. who says, so all of me started this war. And here's how I'm going to end it. Uh, you should trust me. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. And at the end, seemingly at the end, we see a version of the TVA where he is the known entity in charge. Yes. Where we see them say, we see his statue, we see them asking, not do they want us to prune these, but does he want us just to let it branch? And Which maybe, I didn't catch until the second time I watched it. Right. That and they so, were saying he. And so, maybe uh, that's supposed to represent a reality that 
did not work out. And now it's allowed to exist because it wasn't pruned, but that was a potential. That one doesn't work because he didn't use the timekeepers. He made it himself. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. I'm convinced. So he asks them to come to his office and they ride the elevator. Sylvie attempts to kill him from behind, but he shows the ability to predict her moves and jump through space to avoid her attacks. The three sit down to have coffee in He Who Remains' office, uh, both Lokis still on guard. Back at the TVA, after having read but not revealed the information Miss Minutes gave her, Renslayer is packing files as Agent Mobius confronts her in her office. Renslayer continues to defend the TVA mission against Mobius. When he points out everything is fake, she says it all must have been made for some reason. She calls the TVA Minutemen to her office, but they don't come, and we see B-15 has been opening her their eyes to the TVA's lies by drawing Minutemen to an Ohio school in 2018 where a variation of Renslayer serves as the principal. Renslayer insists there would be chaos and death if the timeline wasn't pruned. Mobius says nothing justifies the horror of the void and that the TVA denies free will. Renslayer laughs, saying only the person at the top has free will. Mobius attempts to prune Renslayer, who easily disarms him, rather than pruning Mobius in return. Renslayer takes her bag and walks through a time door in search of free will. This is the last big scene we get with both of these characters. We get a little bit of Mobius at the end, but it's not really of, of any substance. It's just you know, a very, very small little symbol. This is the last time we really get this uh, interaction with these characters. And it makes me feel two different ways. On one hand, I love everything about Mobius. I think Mobius is such a great kid. Like the, the unsung hero of this show to really like, to really bring it home. I think this is one of Owen Wilson's best performances. Not that I am some sort of Owen Wilson aficionado who's seen everything he's been in, but from what I have seen, this is incredible work. Yes. On the exact opposite train, I'm a little disappointed with everything that happened with Renslayer because I think there is a lot of setup happening with Renslayer, and it's a lot of, we'll get there next season. And a lot of that happened this season with her. We didn't really see her grow or change or mm-hmm. um, kind of go through any sort of arc. She just sort of learns information and is like, I'm going to go investigate this information and then leaves. And so it's really interesting that these two characters are playing off each other because on one hand, it's a character that I think is maybe the the best character in the show as a whole off of one of the characters that I think maybe had the, the most disservice in the show that was written, maybe not the best as far as characters are concerned. And that's tough because this is a show where characters for the most part are written really, really well. So when there is a character who's not written as well as the others, it kind of stands out. Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't want to necessarily say that she wasn't written well, but she was written clearly as more of a mystery than any of the other characters. And her entire arc in this episode is definitely setting up for whatever they're going to do with her in season two, which I think there are a lot of great possibilities there. But it's knowing that there's a season two I makes me a little bit more forgiving of her storyline in this episode, I think. Uh, if she just kind of walked through the door and then is like, and that's the end of Loki, uh, check us out in the movie theaters, uh, that would have sucked. So... I'm willing to wait and see where they go with it uh, because clearly there is a plan for her, hopefully within the show Loki uh, in the future. But but yeah, I, I, I get that it's like, all right, we really don't know any more about her than we did at the beginning. That's true. 
So I, so I, I get the, the disappointment. It doesn't bother me yet. Um, but if she continues to just be a mystery, then I perhaps could be bothered. Yeah, I had a thought about Renslayer, and I, I don't know if now's a good time to say it or if we should wait until the end uh, no. where it might make more sense. Um, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, just jumping ahead a little bit uh, or a lot to the, the end of the, the episode. Um, You're one of us now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 and this is probably very wrong based on the comic book history, which I know nothing about. I kind of took it as that she was um, uh, an alternate of, um, of Kang. I, when she arrived and Kang was suddenly like, Oh, like who, who has arrived. And he said, as soon as you strike, like strike me down, basically more of me will arrive. And then she arrives. Right. So is that a possibility or am I just super far off? I, I mean, anything is possible. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, um, because we've already seen how they've mashed up characters before. Um, yeah. The only you know, thing that I could see how it, she couldn't be a variant of him is because he is a person from a thousand years after she exists right right i was i would have if once again if you would have told me before this episode i would have bet money that she knew kang from her previous life before she became a variant i would have she was from the 31st century like i would have bet money on that and now that we know that she's from 2018 i have no idea (laughs) yeah i don't know i felt like there had to be some strong connection there that he would pretty much put her in charge of his little TVA game. Sure. I mean, in the comics, there is a strong connection, right. but okay. that doesn't I, necessarily mean anything in, in this world. And yeah. I think there is going to be a strong connection here. I think I'm surprised that it appears that there was not already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think we're, there's still a lot of mystery around her, and I don't know. In the office at the end of time, he who remains shows the Lokis that he knows everything that will happen and has seen the entirety of time. He also explains the two Loki just got to this point by following the road he paid for them. Further, he tells them the TVA and its questionable methods exist to protect the universe from himself. Through a lengthy dialogue, he tells Sylvie and Loki that several versions of himself were scientists in the 31st century and discovered the existence of parallel universes. They contacted their various versions across the different dimensions, and though there were there was initially peace, some versions of He Who Remains attempted to conquer the other realities, creating the multiversal war. I find I, it I, interesting. Bailey's the one that pointed this out, so I'm going to give her the credit. Um, uh, Bailey was talking to me about this, and she said it would be it's going to be interesting to see them do a Marvel villain differently. And I asked her, you know, we kind of talked about this, if you take Thanos, Thanos was an event. He was a two-movie event that happened. He had little clips here and there, but for the most part, he happened at Infinity War, and he happened in Endgame, and his story kind of, to be 100% honest, he mostly happened in Infinity War and then a little bit in Endgame. Uh, Infinity War is mostly his movie. Mm-hmm. It feels to me like Jonathan Majors Kang is going to be a recurring character that shows up through multiple Marvel movies. Not necessarily even the same version of himself, but maybe. Um, but somebody that kind of shows up multiple times. And it'll be interesting to see a villain develop over a long form because we haven't really had that in the MCU yet. The MCU, they're biggest villain problem if you could say they have one is that their villains always just disappear at the end of their movies right you know uh most of them die literally um and the ones that don't either have a redemption arc or they come up in another movie once again for a little small tiny little role to give information to the to the protagonist right so it'll be interesting to see what they do with a villain over a long stretch of time where they can really develop because we know 
for a fact that Kang is going to be in season two. We know for a fact he's going to be in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Okay, for a fact. We've been rumored, but it seems like it's pretty likely. Okay, we okay. We know for a fact about Quantumania, actually, because now that this episode is, mm-hmm. they're talking about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, were you going to talk about the Entertainment Weekly article? Yes, I was. Okay, go ahead. You do it. Um, so there's a, an Entertainment Weekly article that came out today or, or yesterday or today. And it's partially an interview with Kate Heron and partially an interview with Jonathan Majors. And Kate Heron talks about how they, she actually got to be part of the casting process. I thought that um, was so cool. And she said, she, she mentioned along with Peyton Reed, who's directing Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So, uh, and then they asked him about, you know, your, does your performance as he who remains, who I keep wanting to call he who must not be named, um, <laughs> But she says, does your perform does does your performance as he who remains has that informed how you're playing Kang in Ant Man and the Wasp? And he's like, well, you know, I, he kind of gave a non-committal answer. Um, but they're talking about it now. He's Kang and he's an Ant Man. Um, right. So so that is that is no longer rumor. That is reported, openly spoken of fact. Right. Anything beyond that is rumor and speculation. We actually don't know. I mean, I. I would be shocked if he's not in Loki season two, given the final shot. Uh, but anything beyond that, it certainly makes sense that he would be popping up in other mm-hmm. things. Uh, and I think we assume that because Kang is such a classic Avengers villain. Yeah. He's the kind of villain right. that requires the Avengers, right. not just one hero. Like I was telling, like I was telling my wife, cause she was asking, like she asked me, you know, is Kang a big Marvel villain? And I said, Yes, particularly for Avengers. And when you think about it, I would say he's probably like the fourth Avenger villain. And maybe I'm missing someone. But you've got Loki, who's probably number one. And we have basically killed him off and rehabilitated him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then really Thanos, who we handled that. Ultron, who if mm-hmm. we want to try and handle it better, I'm down with that. But we we did Ultron for a movie. And so then that leaves King. And so that makes it perfect for King to be the next one. Eduardo has a, I, I think Eduardo's completely right. I, it's really interesting. What I would love to see is different variants of him because I would love to see Jonathan Majors play, having now just watched him in this, play slightly different personalities of this roughly the same person. It gives you the potential ability because of timeline shenanigans that we're introducing. It gives you the ability to have a villain who you can have a satisfying, you know, a comic book superhero movie style ending to that villain, kill him, whatever, snap him, prune him, and still know that versions of him are out there for other stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives you, like I think you were getting to, Chris, your whatever our ultimate movie is for Phase 4 gives us potentially our villain, our major villain for that. And what I would say is it potentially gives us one of our major villains for that because the other group that Kang really fits well with is the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. And the dude he also fits well with, both as an adversary and sometimes ally, is Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. So... I, I'm down with everything Eduardo said. I am extremely excited about how Kang can be used going forward. Yeah, because he is, correct me if I'm wrong, he's a distant descendant of Reed Richards, correct? Yes. yes. Yeah, right? Daniel yeah, Richards yeah. is a distant descendant of Reed Richards, yes. Yeah. Uh, Black really Reed Richards, let's see. go. <laughs> I really hope we get to see more of how he played this variant, though. I was all in on this performance. I loved yeah. every second of it, and yeah. I, I hope it doesn't change into a more I, serious variant, you know? One mm-hmm. of the things I like that he said in the article that Chris was mentioning 
is he talks about how he always plays serious characters, but he has clown training. And he was really excited to use his clown training in this episode. And they let him ad lib a lot. And yeah. This, this is hilarious to me. He's a classically trained clown. His clown college was Yale. He studied <laughs> drama at Yale. Okay. And <laughs> one of the things he studied there was the art of commedia. <laughs> so actual classic clowning. Um, but yeah, like his, his bit about like all the versions of him meeting each other. He improv that stuff on the set of, oh, I like your nose. I like your shoes. Nice hair. You know, that was that was all him. He just kind of did his own thing. Him jumping up on the table at the end of his story. He improved that. And if you watch, like, it's a side angle when he's doing that. And you see the camera, like, start to tilt up because the camera person realized, oh, crap, he's about to jump on the table. That's not something we blocked. And mm-hmm. the camera person just kind of rolled with it. Yeah. And you can't tell that it's not planned. But knowing it, watching back, you're like, mm-hmm. this is the only camera move like this in this entire mm-hmm. scene. So, you know, it's one of those, he's moving, I need to keep him in frame. <laughs> <laughs> that's some good, you know, that's some good camera work. Something that probably no one even notices. That's a really good yeah. camera work. Praise the cameraman. People talk about the cinematographer and the director, you know, framing the shots. But you have to, like, the actual camera operator has a job to do has to and has to be able to like roll with it. And, you know, it very well could have, they could have just been sitting there and making sure he's moving. They're like, Oh, he moved. We're going to have to get that again. Um, no, he's like, he's moving. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. We're talking about this. I was planning to bring up the cinematography later because it's not something that we normally talk about on this podcast, but this scene in particular, there is a scene where it is sort of a slow close up. It's first, it's a f- slow pan out of Jonathan Majors, He Who Remains, and then a slow close-up. And there's just something about... It's basically just him monologuing this whole time. And then he comes to this realization when it's closing back up to him uh, that uh, he's just past the point in which he knows what's going to happen. And this... I It's like I became Jonathan Majors' biggest fan overnight because he is so good in this. It's incredible. It, I agree with that. It is completely. so, so mm-hmm. absolutely good. It's so, his performance mm-hmm. is so, so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the same. Like I said, I knew the name because it had been brought up with Kang. Didn't know the face or anything. And now I find myself, I want to watch everything else that he is in. Yeah, I've seen one episode of Lovecraft Country, and uh, I'll go back and watch the rest now for sure. I am, Isn't uh, B-15 in that show too? Yes, she is. Oh, wow. She is. Oh, I'm four episodes awesome. in. I really like it. Yeah, uh, I'll probably be watching that soon. He who remains, calling himself the first variant, found Elioth, who had been created by the tears in reality, tamed it, and used it to destroy the other variants winning the war. After winning the war, he isolated his own timeline and created the TVA to manage the flow of time to keep variations of himself from cropping up in other realities. He says, if you think I'm scary, wait until you see my variants. God, that was spooky. Or as I like to call them, my scariants. (laughs) (laughs) Insisting as bad as the methods of the TVA are, they keep reality safe from the worst devils reality doesn't know. Finally, He Who Remains says he brought the Lokis here because he's old and tired of running reality. He thinks two Lokis would be able to take over for him and take over and brought them here to do it. Where was the second Loki? I saw Loki and Sylvie. 
That was okay. <laughs> Shout out to Peaches. <laughs> He'll appreciate Somebody it. Somebody had to do it. He will He'll appreciate it. Yes. I, he's not we here to defend himself, so I won't bring it up too much. But he did post in the Discord that he still thinks there's a chance that Sylvie isn't a Loki. And so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Good on him for sticking to his beliefs. Is that how that works? I appreciate that. He he has conviction. Exactly. That's how you know he's not a Loki. <laughs> Got him. Well, actually, I don't know what he's wearing, so maybe he is. <laughs> Sylvia costs he who remains over his methods, and he tells her to grow up and that we're all villains here. And he calls her a hypocrite, and he calls her a murderer, and... Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, he's out of line. And then I thought about it for literally half a second. I was like, whoa, he's kind of right. <laughs> he's out of line, line? he's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Robbie, just kind of uh, kind of Homer's home, some of the themes that we've been mm-hmm. talking about throughout this whole, this whole journey. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. I, part of why I think I liked this more on my rewatch is on my first watch, I didn't think... So, so there's two big themes we've talked that I have made everyone talk about on this podcast. And one of them is this theme of self-improvement, of redemption, of a second chance. Uh, that was really big in episode five, especially. And the other one is this theme. It's always been kind of simmering under the background. And now, and, and I remember early on we were talking about, is this on purpose or not? I think it is very clear it was on purpose now. Uh, and that's the theme of, uh, I, I, I don't know how to summarize it quickly, but the, the idea of when you are someone who's in the position to save lives, but only some, which lives do you save? Uh, you know, sort of. Sort trolley of, problem. Yeah, right. Basically the trolley problem. Um, the trolley problem always says, save this one person or these 10 people. This one is more like save this billion versus this other billion, but trillion, zillion, um, lots, lots. And I guess on my first watch of this episode, I didn't feel like those things were addressed and I was wrong. It's just, this show doesn't feel the need to beat you over the head with its themes. And so on rewatching, they're absolutely there and they're absolutely handled. And this, so first watch, I took this moment where he accosts Sylvie uh, and he pushes back on the same way, the same way Eduardo did where it's like, Whoa, that's a little harsh. Oh no, I guess it's called for. And on rewatch, I'm like, no, 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 no. He's talking about the show. Um, and he's right. And that line, we're all villains here, is fantastic. Because they are. But they're all villains in different stages of kind of the discussion of villainy. The show is almost kind of just about what is a villain, how almost, an, almost like the show is taking on nature versus nurture. And one of the, I remember on one of our episodes, we were talking about this concept of the morality of, who, of the trolley problem. And I remember Peach saying that he's worried that they're just going to drop it. And I don't think they did drop it, I think, but they also didn't answer it. And I think that's because the answer's hard. The yeah. answer is not clear. I think the show is not pretending that it has answers. The show is not pretending that it has the moral solution to what is a, a basically an impossible question to answer. And instead, they're addressing the fact that this is an impossible question to answer. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I just, we see the theme of getting better. In a way, we see... Kang getting better. I, he is still a villain here, but I, I, it seems that this is the Kang that had the 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 lesser evil solution to some of the other Kangs. Uh, we see Loki has uh, this is again like we talked about. This Loki 
in his in the real time of his life and aging is days removed from stabbing his brother in the in the chest over sentiment in the side over sentiment while he tries to destroy New York and he's now giving up the infinity gauntlet he's now stopping to think about what is the correct thing here if we stop this villain does that just open up a worse villain and he's actually thinking about that moral solution he's actually ends this episode thinking a thinking about what the right thing to do is and b to that other theme not knowing what the right thing to do is and it causes this sort of this paralysis of analysis for him at the end of the episode which kind of cascades into our our how the episode ends Kang doesn't pretend he's not a bad person. He just believes what he's doing is necessary to avoid the things becoming worse. He's going to the, you know, the people about to die. Proverbially, he's going to the hurricane shelter, knowing everyone's going to die, but knowing if he saves them, it'll just cause other calamities that aren't supposed to happen. And I don't know. It, it's, it's not an easy decision. I have another thing I want to pass on to Patrick here in a minute. It, it's, I just, I think it's very, very interesting. I have some stuff we're going to talk about with this episode but it's just so cool to me the way they didn't abandon their themes, but also didn't pretend to have the solution to their themes. Uh, and, and there's another really good line that um, He Who Remains has here, where he takes off the tempad and puts it down and he goes, I like all this honesty, feels like a fresh start, which is, again, that theme of getting redemption. And I think Loki has an uphill climb because redemption isn't easy, because he... By his attempt at redemption helped cause phase four of the MCU. <laughs> but um, I think that we can probably safely say that this Loki has come around and has redeemed and probably still has his nature. You know, I can't be trusted, but has come around to looking for what the moral answer is to what to his decisions and his actions. And then, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a conversation here about free will. This show handles free will not from the standpoint of I literally don't get to choose. It's not like clicking the free will box in The Sims. It's more of there's someone here who gets to decide whose whose life gets to continue and whose doesn't. There's someone at the top who is deciding who gets to make their own decisions. There's someone at the top who had these two Loki variants who spent their whole life making their own choices, but they were just being guided to this po- Point where they walk into the room and see the architect. So there's a free will conversation here as well. And I just think that's all fascinating. Patrick, I know you have thoughts on the free will. Um, philosophy I have scattered episode. thoughts. Um, yeah. First of all, is there a free will box in the Sims? Yeah, there is. There literally is a box. <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> yes. So, Do they just story. become self-aware and try to break free of their game? I don't no, understand. So fun story, because um, my wife and I are both, we're both addicts to the Sims 2 um, and it kind of speaks to us as being how we play games differently. I absolutely always had free will on in The Sims, which allows your Sims to make decisions as to what they want to do. You can control them. You can override. But if you leave them alone, they're going to do the things they want to do. They have personalities. They have different hopes and desires and fears and memories. And it kind of shapes how they interact in the world you build for them. And I like that. To me, The Sims was like an ant farm. To me, I would set up these people in this life. My favorite thing to do, now I'm getting off the rails, favorite thing to do was to make eight people with very different lives, shove them in one house and not cheat and give them money, and watch how poverty affected the eight different people at the start of living in a horrible house with three walls and a grass floor until they could make enough money to live in a house. Watch how that affected their memories and their hopes and fears and desires and relationships. And wow. that's, that's how I put it in. 
my wife. I think I need to start playing The Sims. <laughs> the Sim, I yeah. So there's a, <laughs> oh, you can find some blogs that use The Sims to create really fascinating stories of of yes, they're fake, but the simulated realities. My wife, meanwhile, would turn off free will um, because to her, she wanted to she for her it was about the the house and the the making them do things and. Obviously, she played The Sims like a strategy game of trying to optimize everyone's lives and get to an end goal. So I was, I was about the journey, I guess, and she's about the, the destination. So she would turn off their free will so that they stop doing what she doesn't want them to do because she needs to maximize their career and she needs to make them have exactly this many children and reach their life goals and then live in a perfect house. And neither is the wrong way to play. I just think it's very fascinating. But anyway, that's all to say, yes, there is free will in The Sims. Thank you. Uh... That's fascinating. I love it. I'm going to start playing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This show speaks to me. I, I love conversations about free will and determinism. Um, back back when I was younger, there was this show on tech TV called Big Thinkers. And one episode had a, um, a smart philosopher man named uh, Daniel Dennett. And he had a whole episode talking about um, just free will and how it doesn't exist. And honestly, since that point in my life, I am I've been pretty convinced that free will does not exist. <laughs> so just, just, uh, I, it, that's crazy, but, uh, just reading various different studies on it, I, I'm, I've been convinced, but anyway, this show, uh, it, it, it I love that it touches on those themes. So I, I feel like at one point what this, what it's trying to talk about is predeterminism because, um, Renslayer says only one person has free will and it's him. Uh, so I took that to say that he's, pretty much God. He's the one that's predetermining everyone. And in predeterminism, no one else can have free will. Basically, it's, um, it's, a, it's not allowed in determinism. Free will doesn't mm-hmm. exist. So if, if what Renslayer says is true, um, and he has determined every outcome in every Marvel story, it's, it, it, I have so many questions about that, first of all. But I just love that this show isn't afraid to, to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, I, I didn't quite understand why there was a point in time where he couldn't see what was going to happen next. And I don't know if you all can help explain that, but it, it was just interesting to me that that he knew everything that was going to happen up until this point. Um, so <laughs> if you think back to every single movie, he had a hand in it, right? Because mm-hmm. he, when he makes the offer to change, send them back to their lives, um, you know, giving Loki the throne, is that a true offer? Could he actually do that? I, I don't know. There's just so many questions I have, and I wish I had more time to think about it before coming on here. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm no, yeah, going yeah. to offer a potential counter sure, please. to the idea <laughs> that he has had a hand in everything. Yes. Because, and this is going to get real confusing and timey-wimey and stuff, so bear with me on this. Because this episode ends with the timeline branching everywhere, technically, that means that even though we just watched it happen chronologically in the story it just happened now but because it happened everywhere across the timeline all the way back to the beginning of time it's already happened and had already happened by the time we started watching all these movies so Hmm. in a way it's like there have always been these other realities they were just created later but they were created in such a way that they always existed you're just putting the the dot above the I in Jeremy Baramy right yes, now. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what that is. So, And I think know, that's where he would have said Loki was to the dot in the I. Um, that would have been a little pocket universe where he couldn't affect the timeline. Okay, so does Loki have free will throughout the MCU? Or is he really just, you know, on this path that has been paved by Kang? 
Um, I mean, in a meta sense, since they're all stories. <laughs> well, in, in, in a sense, Kang doesn't necessarily, he can't like see the future, right? He just knows what happened in the past. So he is not necessarily like changing things to fit himself. He's changing things so that things happen the same way to put himself in the same position. So he's right. not changing history necessarily to make a particular outcome that is different happen. He's just trying to make sure that the same thing happens over and over again, which is the first thing that happened. So in theory, the first Loki that ever did this was the one that had the free will that did this in the first place. If free will didn't exist, there would be no variance to prune. Mm-hmm. Fair. Right? Maybe. Right. Well, Possibly. I, I feel but, like but, that's wrong, but I'm too tired to explain but why I it's think wrong. The pruning, <laughs> I think the pruning is the removal of free will. I think the show is not handling free will in terms of having you know grown up a Presbyterian, strict determinism. I think it's handling free will more from a standpoint of I don't get to choose if my life ultimately matters in the grand scheme of the universe, because it may just be removed. It may just be controlled. I think it's a mm. more, a less, a less strict version of questioning free will, if that makes sense. It's an external force that's keeping free yeah, will from yeah, yeah. existing right, right, rather right. than mm-hmm. just an intrinsic fact of mm-hmm. the universe. I think what you guys are describing and probably someone will correct me on this is soft determinism, which is interesting. I I don't know. I'm going to be listening to this back and be messaging you guys furiously on <laughs> additional thoughts because, like I said, I haven't had too much time to think about this, right. but it, it's all just super interesting, and I, I, I love that the show went went to these places yeah. that made and me think like this. What I'll say is this conversation and the confusing is confusion over it is why I'm constantly afraid of stories introducing time travel, and I, I said this in the Endgame episode, right? Mm-hmm. and yet I happen to enjoy these episodes about time travel, so I... I don't know. I also find interesting the brand of heroism that Loki and Sylvie both represent. When I was younger, a lot of the heroism that I was into was the ends justify the means. We do what we have to for the sake of good, right? Like, uh, you know, when you're young and you're into dark, you know, I'm into Batman and I'm into, you know, anti-heroes and the guys who just get the, the job done, right? I'm I'm younger, so I'm more into Tony Stark because Tony Stark does what needs to be done, and he needs you know, he 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 makes the hard decisions. Whereas I am older now, and I find I enjoy a little more of the Captain America. Just because it is the least wrong choice doesn't mean you shouldn't be making a wrong choice. Like you should always try to find a good choice to make. Um, and so it's interesting to see, in my opinion, Sylvie and Loki on the two sides of that coin, right? Like Loki has been a villain, quote unquote, for his entire life. He's just now trying to understand what heroism is, what heroism is. And so he's just now discovering, you know, do I, do the ends justify the means? He's he's literally going through the trolley problem in his own head. Yeah, and for the first time in his life, he's looking. He's not looking for a solution based on how it benefits him personally. And I think that is really, that is his end game in this season, is him getting to that point where, where he is uh, actually looking out for other people. He cares about Sylvie. Uh, he cares about Mobius. And he cares about the fate of the universe. And not just because he lives in the universe, like uh, like Rocket, you know, Rocket's justification mm-hmm. in Guardians. It's like he actually he's like, 
we need to think about this. We can't be rash because the decision we make here is important. Mm-hmm. If he were the old Loki, he would just be like, yeah, it would be good to be in charge of the universe. I'll take right. that. Right. Yeah. So, absolutely. so I think that really shows his, his growth. Robbie, Ooh. I actually want to, what? Oh, you go no, first. I just realized I, we didn't even really touch on it. And like the episode didn't touch on it. But this just ties right back into what was one of the what was the last thing this Loki was talking about when he was in his timeline? It was the lie of choice. The life's great lie is free will, and here oh, he yeah. is. Here he is. He's not just he's not really given the ability to just be king of the universe. That's not what's what what he who remains is actually doing. But he was given the opportunity right here in this episode to put the rubber to the road of his life's great lies choice. I'm going to take choice away. He's actually given that option here in this episode. The thing that this Loki was in his aging pattern talking about days ago and giving it up because he realizes that that's not necessarily what needs to happen. And he's not saying it doesn't need to happen, but he is now doubting what was basically his core principles. Oh, his ethos, yeah. Right, right. Because, yeah. again, I know we keep saying this, but we have to remember, because I, I forget, this is Avengers Loki, basically. And Avengers yeah. Loki was just standing in Germany telling people, you know, is this not your natural state? Is this, do you not just desire to be ruled? And he's given that opportunity and is thinking, eh, this may not be a good thing. Yeah, he was You've all just... like, uh, Captain America showed up, and he's like, last time I saw Hitler, he and I didn't agree. Uh, that wasn't the exact line, but it was close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, was uh, just... you've just saved me a click on the article. How Avengers spoiled the end of Loki 15 years prior. <laughs> <laughs> what an Easter egg. Uh, Chris, what were you about to ask? Yeah, I wanted to go back to something you said. Uh, you referred to He Who Remains... Uh, and I'm paraphrasing because this was like 20 minutes ago now. Um, but you called his solution as like as like the lesser evil mm-hmm. of like the Kangs. Mm-hmm. Is it? I don't know. Is it, I, is I don't it, actually know. <laughs> is, it, uh, is it any different than Kang the Conqueror coming in and conquering and becoming a, 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 like a fascist ruler or whatever? Um, if you are sitting at the end of time and, uh, you know, ruling basically I, and I, and taking away people's yeah. choice uh that is exactly the same as conquering right uh, so yeah. i don't think he's any different he just has deluded himself a little bit into thinking that it's preferable to the violent conquering potentially i i think the implication that at least this king i'm just gonna call him king because it's faster to say i think yeah. at least <laughs> the implication that this king wants us to buy into is that that version just leads to the destruction of everything. There is not mm-hmm. someone ruling potentially malevolently over the universe. There is no universe. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's his fear, his justification, potentially wrong. Um, and on top of what you just said, I think it's not potentially the lesser evil because I think you can argue. I think the moral argument could be made and the epi- this show, I think very, very um, respectfully does not attempt to say what's right or wrong. I think there is a moral argument to be made that the it is better for the universe to have the free will to just destroy itself than to control it and take away its free will. If people want to have a multiversal war that wipes out all of existence, 
then they should be allowed to make that choice. Um, you know, it, it, it's uh, I'm getting really libertarian here, but um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a good point. It's not necessarily I said that as shorthand, but it's not necessarily yeah. factually the lesser evil for multiple reasons. Yeah, and and I feel like the when you get these comic book movies, I, I think they tend towards the optimistic a little bit, uh, which is maybe hard for us to do now um, when we've seen, unfortunately, people take the concept of I shouldn't be told what to do to an extreme mm-hmm. that ends up being harmful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you look at, I, I'm thinking of The Dark Knight right now, uh, that, that whole scene at the end of the boats. Uh, and... And, and I think several Marvel movies, I can't think of, you know, specifics right now, but the idea that you should have the chance to make the right choice. Yeah. Because I think in their heart of hearts, they believe that the right choices will be made. Right. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's a deep and it's it's mm-hmm. a complex issue. And I don't, and I don't you, think there's a right or wrong answer. You could even make parallels to uh, Tony and um, Steve's, kind of debacle at the beginning of civil war talks uh-huh. about how you know but we're giving up our right to choose and that's right the most important at least our if we make actions we make the wrong actions at least we made those decisions and they right. weren't decisions given to us uh-huh. yeah much to think about <laughs> billy ray cyrus <laughs> what an interesting episode we're 15 minutes in <laughs> <laughs> oh wow after all his exposition, he who remains tells them they have reached the point in time where he's no longer where he no longer knows everything that will happen. Outside the office, the sacred timeline starts to branch wildly. Loki seems shocked he who remains is okay allowing the Lokis to decide his fate, but Kang states he isn't concerned because either they will take over his life's work or kill him and time will repeat itself until he ends up back in charge again. As he removes the device that lets him jump through space and reflects on enjoying being honest and feeling like he has a fresh start, Kang is attacked by Sylvie, who is in turn stopped by Loki. Loki asks Sylvie to stop and think for a moment, and he's not sure what the correct course of action is. He at one point even says, that's the Gambit, which is an Easter egg to the X-Men character, Gambit. They're actually, we're planning to introduce the X-Men here. All along. This is confirmation of how they're going to introduce X-Men to the MCU. Yes. Um, I, I didn't catch that yeah. the first time. Uh-huh. uh-huh. She says, that's the Gambit. That's him. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Majors is Gambit. Gambit mm-hmm. is a variant of Kang. Oh, that's why he never says Kang. That's right, all because he's Gambit. All the yes. mutants are going to be Kang variants, and that's how they're going to introduce the that's MCU. It. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. You got it. You got it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I also, while you were talking earlier, I kept thinking about how I can probably go on YouTube within the next week and find a bunch of videos that say why uh, he who remains at the end of Loki was right about everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's going to happen. Oh, it's abs- no, there's no absolutely. If it hasn't already. <laughs> right. The TVA will make sure it happens. Sylvie believes Loki just wants to take Kang's throne and doesn't believe his denials. Sylvie asks, why aren't we seeing this the same way? Loki answers, because you can't trust, and I can't be trusted. The two end up in a sword fight across the office, though with each passing up chances to kill the other. Now, Chris, we famously, on this podcast, (laughs) I think you and I, more than anyone, were absolutely sure that this was going to be a confrontation with a Loki at the end, because thematically, the way the show was headed, 
that is what made the most sense. Technically, (laughs) that is what happened, but not necessarily the way you and I had thought it was going to. I'm sorry, I... I got distracted for a moment because I just found a YouTube video from two days ago called Loki Finale Explained and He Who Remains Was Right TVA Is Not Evil. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I am sending it to the Discord right now. Amazing. (laughs) That's amazing. Boom. There it is. All right. You were saying... Uh, Loki fighting against Loki, different from Loki that we thought. Yes, yes, it, it did happen because he fought Sylvie, who's, who's definitely a Loki. Um, a not controversial statement in the least. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Uh, you know, there's there's always room for, for things to change. Uh, but taking at face value what we've been told throughout this series, that Sylvie is a Loki variant, um, as he who remains even says. Uh, we we kind of did get the Loki versus Loki fight. And in hindsight, in retrospect, retrospectively, an MCU retrospective, uh, <laughs> we, it makes sense that it would be Loki versus Sylvie at the end, our Loki versus Sylvie. Uh, you know, instead of it being a different eviler Loki from the future or the past or a parallel dimension, however, it was a great demonstration of and we Loki has learned to care about others, someone other than himself, even if it is technically himself, it's not. Um, so it, it's, it's a different, you know, it's a different person, not him. It's not self-preservation. And, and, and again, even thinking about how does this affect the universe? And, and, and on the flip side of that, it brings an end to Sylvie's arc this season, where we get the question, you know, what happens when she finally gets what she's looking for? She doesn't change. She still can't trust. She has not been able to trust ever since she found out that the universe was a lie and her life was a lie and all of that. And she still can't trust Loki. And it's not just because he's a Loki and, and therefore cannot be trusted. It's just that she cannot trust. Period. Mm-hmm. And that's her downfall. And we've talked about the idea comes from the comics and has certainly been a theme throughout this show about what is the best version of oneself and, and the TVA preventing people from getting to be the best version of themselves, particularly Loki. Like kid Loki says uh, in the previous episode that whenever one of us tries to become better, they end up here. And I think we taken sort of the idea that, Sylvie was the example of what the best version of Loki might be. And here we see that that is not because she's still held back by her own flaws. And our Loki, Tom Hiddleston Loki, maybe he's not the best version of any Loki ever, but he is on the road to becoming the best version of himself. This particular Loki and has the potential to even exceed the Loki that we saw up through Infinity War, who did end up sacrificing himself and and did finally start to believe in something other than himself at the end, still brought down by his own flaws, though. Uh, Much like Sylvie is here, perhaps. I mean, Thanos wouldn't have shown up to kill everyone if he could have just left the Tesseract alone when he's going to light the Eternal Flame in Ragnarok. But because he's Loki and he can't help himself, he grabs the Tesseract and 
that is what leads into Infinity War. If he had just done that, the Tesseract probably would have been destroyed in Asgard and Thanos never could have uh, gotten what he wanted. And but but this Loki now, because Loki's survive, this Loki is a survivor who is getting to actually experience these experiences and actually show some growth in a way that he hasn't been able to before. And other versions of him have not had the opportunity to do either because it ended in his noble sacrifice or it ended in the TVA pruning them. He got pruned, but that was just the beginning of his journey. And now he has the chance to actually put into action, you know, his, the, the realizations that he's come to and actually become that best Loki that, that we're all rooting for, I think. And it's, Funny that in the comics, they talk about how when Loki tries to be good, he ends up reverting back because they talk about the universe expects and and the people that he knows expect him to be the god of lies. And in a meta sense, they're talking about how uh, the comic book audience always wants things to revert back to the status quo eventually. And I think what we're seeing here, maybe something that's a little bit different and it's probably it's it's kind of stuck in the comics and i think it's partially because of tom hiddleston's performance in the movies is that now you have an audience that's rooting for him to become a hero or at least to become as heroic as as a loki can be while still being loki so he might get that chance now and i'm just thrilled that the journey isn't over that we're gonna see more i also find it interesting that loki and sylvie seem to be on intersecting paths if you think about their arcs like if you if i were to think about loki's arc and sylvie's arc they're making an x at this point and they have met at this point and now they're diverging in opposite directions i think that's how mutants (laughs) (laughs) no that's actually how we get the powerpuff girls chemical x uh i think loki sees himself in a lot of ways, as the worst version of himself, right? He is told over and over again how inferior he is to this other Loki. He sees mm-hmm. all of his plans kind of go to shit. He sees himself be an awful person. He sees everybody he loves dies, and then eventually sees himself die in the least grand way that that specific Loki could ever see. Meanwhile, this Sylvie had everything bad happen to her initially, and she has been doing everything she can to try to make it not a better life just for herself, but for everyone else in the universe. And then when we get to the end, you see the two of them make almost opposite decisions. I won't say which one is the morally correct decision to make, but at least the way it's framed to me, it is framed that Loki is the reasonable one in this, and Sylvie is the hot-headed, you know, acting rash, doing what they came here to do and it almost feels like their paths are starting to change that he is becoming more of the loki who is for the the people as you Uh could say and she is more of the Uh self-interested loki and loki for the people (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i think it's inarguable i think the the moral the morality of which what the different loki's wanted to do what the correct choice is that's debatable i don't think it's debatable that sylvie wasn't acting with any sort of this is what's going to be good for the universe. She was just pure emotional self-interest. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Star-Lord. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
just like Star-Lord. Yeah, you could argue <laughs> that it's just Star-Lord's fault and it's uh, Sylvie's fault this whole thing is happening, completely negating the person who actually does the bad thing, instead <laughs> focusing on somebody else who just happened to be there, but whatever. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, let, let's let's blame the victim of trauma and <laughs> not, not the traumatizers. <laughs> Man, goddamn this show. Uh... <laughs> Loki finally appeals to Sylvie with empathy and a promise not to want to hurt her. She drops her sword, and the two kiss. Suddenly, Sylvie says, but I'm not you, and shoves Loki through a time Confirming block. Peach's theories. Confirmed. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm not you. It was right there. It was there all along. It was there. It's bigger than you, and you are not me. That's me in the corner. The song's actually about Loki and the TVA. Yes. Yeah. Not a lot of people know that. Man, I thought it was about the Zonai. It was right there all <laughs> along. Uh, she, throw, she shoves Loki through a time door she opens with He Who Remains as Tempad, putting Loki back in the TVA. With Loki out of the way, Sylvie plunges her sword into He Who Remains as chest. He gives her a wink and a see you soon as he dies, while the timeline outside branches more and more wildly. Sylvie falls to the ground and sobs. In the TVA, Loki sits alone, clearly upset, before racing to find Mobius and B-15. He tries to warn them about the terror of He Who Remains and how countless versions of him will be coming set on war. Mobius doesn't recognize Loki, believing him to be a TVA analyst, and starts asking, who are you? Distraught, Loki looks out on the open concourse of the TVA library, where once there were statues of the timekeepers, and sees just one statue of who we believe to be Kang the Conqueror. He's, he's dressed as Kang there. He's got his Kang outfit on there. So so that that's Kang, baby. Speaking of this Kang, is... I think it's finally time for us to discuss, Chris. Yeah. Kang himself, Jonathan Majors, this ending that we've talked about over and over again that we didn't want to have. And how do we feel about it? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about it? I have mixed feelings. And I think, like you said, I think you and I might have gone and little bit opposite because the episode ended i was like okay if that's what they're doing it i'm cool with it and then i thought about it and i marinated on it and first of all jonathan majors was great and we have talked about this already but he he made some wild performance choices and he gave me um vibes of collector and um jonathan not jonathan um jeff uh um Gold oh, Grandmaster. Yes. yes, he gave me vibes yeah. of just this sort of weird, like a lot of really strange choices that he was making, but they all just somehow worked because of just how convincing he was. Yeah, and it made it entertaining to watch, which is good because like 90% of this episode was a brand new character just telling you stuff, mm-hmm. which is not the most exciting season finale one could have. I appreciate it on some levels because, you know, people have, I I joked about this in in our group chat the other day about how people always complain that the Marvel movies end in big action spectacles, like they're not action movies, you know? Uh, And and people said that about WandaVision as well. And and to some extent I do get it because WandaVision was such a great, unique show and it did end in, I thought a thematically appropriate and well done big fight but it was still a big fight when everything else that had come before it was super weird and interesting. So I understand why that was a disappointment to some people. And 
And to this show's credit, it does not do it. The big spectacle happened in the last episode, the the face down with Elioth. And and the hero moment went to classic Loki, and it was awesome. And this, there's a sword fight, but everything else, it's a conversation. And I, and I think that is an interesting and in some ways bold choice. But again, your season finale is mostly exposition. And the, the reason that that to some degree troubles me is that it took the focus off of Loki. Now, we've talked a lot about Loki and Sylvie in this episode, uh, and rightfully so, because it is, it is their show. Mo- mostly our Loki, but Sylvie as well is like, you know, it's 1A and 1B there, I think. And uh, for a good while, this episode was now about He Who Remains. And to some extent, because we know what's coming, Kang. You know, this is what gives us the backstory of Kang in the easiest to digest possible way. And there is no easy way to digest the story of Kang. We've talked about that before. And I've been curious how they're going to handle it. And they're going to handle it with a little CGI slideshow, uh, which is how they handle most of their uh, their things. Uh, what's the history of Wakanda? Uh, well, we'll tell you in this CGI prologue. Very well done. I'm not saying that this is a bad device, but it is a device they go to a lot, it does seem like. And that's what it was here. And again, because we know, or we think we know what's coming, we do know that Kang the Conqueror is coming. And we know that he is coming as soon as Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, if not sooner. Uh, we don't know when Loki season two is coming out, and that is a big question. I'm very curious to see if this is coming out before Ant Man or after, or or what. Are we going to have to wait three or four years for a season two of this show? I hope not, but uh, who knows? I I look forward to finding that out, and I am curious for the people who are not as plugged in as we are, who just saw this as a season finale and didn't know. Okay, but yeah, this guy is a, a big deal and is going to be a big deal in one or more movies coming up. I wonder how it played to them, because to me, it does play a little bit like we're now setting up the chessboard for phase four, because of course we're thinking of Doctor Strange, we're thinking of Spider-Man, we're thinking of Ant-Man now and the Wasp, and and further down the line, Fantastic Four, big team-up movies, Avengers, uh, Young Avengers, who knows? Uh, and this does feel like a lot of this was going towards setting up all of that. And and what's fun about the MCU, I love the connections. Don't get me wrong. <clears throat> we do, we've done a whole podcast series about the connections and how does this fit into the MCU, and that's fun. But every other Marvel thing, with the exception of, I think, Infinity War and Endgame, which are kind of their own thing, has been able to play into the larger story while also being its own thing. Like you don't need to see Dr. Strange to understand what happens in Thor Ragnarok, even though Dr. Strange shows up, they tell you he's a wizard and that's what you need to know. Uh, Maybe a better example would be you don't need to see Dr. Strange to understand Black Panther because even though they share the universe, they're different series, and they come together in the big crossovers, and crossovers happen, but it's never been that something huge happens in one movie that you need to understand to understand a completely different thing. And this feels like a huge thing that has happened 
in this Disney Plus show that is only for subscribers of a streaming service, not even in a movie that everyone has the opportunity to go see in the movie theater, something that you have to subscribe to the streaming service to see is potentially setting up a bunch of stuff. And what it comes down to is I will not know how I feel about this episode completely for another three or four years because I need to see how it all plays out now. For me, the final shot of this episode and the announcement in the credits that a season two is happening is a good reassurance that what just happened is important for this show. Not just for the MCU, but for this show. And that makes me feel a little bit better because if it ended up not being about the show and about setting up a bunch of other things, well, I'm going to go see everything and I'm going to have a lot of fun with that. I, I, I just wonder, like, how is that going to play for other people? And I, and I think a part of me would be sad that the Loki TV series got hijacked in the last episode to introduce the villain of the Ant-Man movie. Yeah, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I do think I had an opposite trajectory as you. I have found myself coming around maybe a little more, but I still kind of agree with most of the points that you've just made. Uh, A lot of it has to do with the way the episode was presented. I don't need a big fight sequence at the end of a Marvel thing for that Marvel thing to be good. That being said, if you spend your almost your entire episode just explaining something to me and don't give me some sort of resolution of conflict, I there's no way I'm not going to feel a little, a little disappointed. Now, we do get some of that with Loki and Sylvie. That being said, as much as I loved that moment, it felt a little rushed to me because we spent so much time with Jonathan Majors' uh, Kang or Immortus or he who remains or whatever his name is that we didn't get in my opinion enough time to really finish out the the themes and stories that we were trying to tell this season that being said i am just so absolutely enamored by everything that happened with jonathan majors it almost makes me kind of forgive everything else oh yeah i don't disagree with that through sheer charisma he made what could have been a boring, weird episode right. entertaining and interesting. Right, and so and, yeah. I have found myself on the opposite of that, mostly because at the end of my first watch of this, I was pretty negative on it. I was like, I didn't necessarily really like this episode because part of it was it proved me wrong, and I hate being wrong. And uh, <laughs> I think most of it was that it wasn't a satisfying conclusion to the stories that they were telling. The reason I was so sure it was King Loki was because they were telling the story about Loki's, his own self-discovery, right? Using the vessel of variants, showing different versions of himself that all metaphorically are, you know, that are there, but metaphorically just exist in in his own head, right? That are all of these different versions that all live right up here in his, in his dome the best versions of himself, the worst versions of himself and everything between. And we continue to watch him see these things at the very beginning. He watches videos of his own life that he hasn't experienced yet, but he understands that that's very real, that that is things that he would do. He sees a bunch of other Lokis all arguing and fighting and backstabbing. And it disappoints him. He sees Sylvie and immediately he falls in love because he goes, Oh shit. This is somebody who like could actually be a good person could be different from all of this life that I've been told that I have to lead. 
And so it becomes strange when you get to that last episode and most of the episode revolves around something that doesn't really have to do, like Chris said, with Loki. Mm -hmm. On rewatch, to be honest, I still have most of those problems, but Jonathan Majors is just doing such a damn good job. (laughs) Right, yeah. Right. I mean, uh, that is about where I've landed to. I just think that we yeah we we started took different, different paths to the same spot. Yes. <laughs> basically, we are Sylvie and Loki. Yeah. We're we're at the the middle point of our X right now. Yeah. We are also an Easter egg for the Powerpuff Girls. Uh-huh. <laughs> I one of them is Tara Strong, who plays Miss Minutes. Oh, oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, I had roughly the same arc as um, you, Eduardo. I I agree with. Basically everything Chris just said. Well, there's one thing I actually slightly disagree with that I'll get to. Um, it, I'm hurt. It felt kind of like the rug was pulled out from under me in that we closed this show that I loved out with it's not about it's not about the fact that the episode was exposition, because actually the exposition of the episode was fantastic. The epi- the, the the dialogue and like this was a compelling episode, despite the fact that there was like mostly it just took place in one room totally totally entertaining despite that it, this is we we talked at times about episodes that are important to the series make the series better even if the episode itself is not as as great and i feel like this one is almost the opposite where i feel like this one hurt the series a little bit even though the episode itself was great it yeah because uh, like i was getting at it just kind of felt like it, the rug was pulled out from under me and that we closed the episode, the series by spending an entire episode explaining a new character. I just, I feel like I'm coming off harsher than I mean to because I'm with Eduardo. Where I liked it more on rewatch. I'm still gonna rate this series very highly, mm-hmm. but I don't think you should end a show. I don't think you should end a season of a series by just making it a vehicle for what happens next, especially especially as Chris touched on what happens next in other properties. I really don't like that. Now, what you talked about, you, the, the thing I slightly disagree with is you talked about you had, you liked that the end made it very clear that the things that happened here are important for season two of the show. I'm not a big fan of when series do that either. I'm not a big mm-hmm. fan of the season cliffhanger that just exists to set up the next, um, the next season. I, I want there to be, not a fully contained arc. Not everything is answered and now it's done and we'll start fresh next season. But I do want there to be a little bit more of a finality to the arcs you've had than I think we got here. A little bit more time spent on addressing the characters in this and the and the themes that you've set up than they did here. That's I, I don't it. disagree with that. Uh, yeah, I would have liked a little bit more closure on mm-hmm. some of the other things mm-hmm. within the Planet of the Apes reveal at the end. Yeah. That said, in just a little bit, I know Eduardo's going to have a much more interesting way to address this, and I'll let him get there when we get to that point in the podcast. Spoilers. Um, but one thing I kind of have a realization of is this was almost like a five-episode season with an epilogue. Oh. And it's almost like season five, which I gave a 10 because it was phenomenal. And honestly, had the season ended on episode five, I think I would have been happy. It's almost like episode five was our finale. And then this episode was a utility for season two, for the MCU. There's a real good way of putting this that I'm specifically not saying on purpose because it's Mm -hmm. Eduardo's thought and I'm going to let him have it when we get there. But I I think that realization kind of made me feel better about it. Um, but Patrick, how did you feel? 
So um, I'm, I find myself agreeing with everything you guys are saying, and yet I didn't feel it at all while watching the episode, which is weird because normally I'm very critical of this sort so of thing. So you're more I, I had I had fun the entire way through. I thought they were hinting at a big bad reveal at the end, and I'm kind of glad I got it. Uh, weird thing about me, I love the Matrix Reloaded. I love that we got the weird guy at the end <laughs> explaining all the weird stuff he does. I thought it was super cool. I loved the whole... I just loved everything about it. I, I, I just... When the episode ended, I was like, wow, I can't wait to watch this whole thing again, and I can't wait to see what's next. And um, I guess I just never looked at this series as a self-contained thing, even though I had no idea there would be a season two. I sort of looked at it from the beginning that it was meant to set something up. And so I wasn't disappointed personally, but I totally do agree with everything you all are saying. Yeah, there's definitely a personal preference to, I just don't tend to love stuff that exists just to set up other stuff. There is literally nothing wrong if you do like that. Like that that's just personal preference. Yeah. And and the thing about the MCU is that a lot of people look at it that way and I think that it is an overused criticism that is not really fair of a lot of MCU stuff that oh just exists to make you want to watch okay. the next movie. That is certainly part of it, but each move but generally they keep it to tiny references mm-hmm. and and teasers like right. at, in the credits. To, to make you want to see what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Uh, like introducing Thanos and the Avengers. You know, I think that's the perfect example of a right. post credit scene. Setting up something next without detracting from the movie. Just making you go, oh, I wonder what that's going to be about. And then paying it off later. Or introducing the Collector in the uh, credits of Thor The Dark World. Everyone's favorite Thor movie. Um. <laughs> see, but it's interesting you bring that one up because I think Thor The Dark World, along with Iron Man 2, is one of the two most egregious examples of being a yes. movie that spends more time on its setting things up for the MCU than I, Iron Man 2 especially, and, and, and I think mm-hmm. that is why that movie suffers. And I think that they corrected that, but people have hung mm-hmm. on to Iron Man 2 and go, this is what Marvel movies do. They're always setting stuff up, setting stuff up. And I don't think that's a fair criticism, but I you... do think it is... You are correct, because multiple people said that exact thing to me just in the last two days. Multiple people have said to me in the last two days, some of them who are going to hear this conversation in a minute and maybe yell at me, um, have said, well, this is just like Iron Man 2, and that's just what they do. And it's like, Iron Man 2 was a long time ago, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with your criticism of Iron Man 2, believe me. It's at the bottom of my rankings. But Iron Man 2 introduced Don Cheadle in his Emmy-nominated role, James Rose. <laughs> but I just wanted to insert that in there. Continue your point. Um, yeah, um, the other... Oh, I, I had a thought. and Give oh, me shoot. just a second while I think about it. No, it's okay. Um, I read that. Iron Man 2, setting stuff up. Uh, not the thing Eduardo was going to say, because I'm not going to steal his thunder on that. Um, it's good, listeners. Trust me. It's good. We just got a, like another sentence to get through with the script. Oh, yeah. Um, And at the end of that sentence is Bad Batch. (laughs) Yes. I read a tweet Uh, that was like, uh, somebody had an issue with this movie. And I I don't know if I agree yet, because I don't know how um, these movies are going to tie in. But they said that, you know, their concern is that this movie or this series kind of turns the MCU into some of the problems that some of the comic books have, which is you need to watch things in order to understand other things. You don't necessarily, Mm -hmm. things don't exist as a purpose to set other things up. But if you've ever tried to read a Marvel series, it can sometimes be challenging because finding the starting point, finding how to get from point A to point B can sometimes be really difficult. 
because of all of the tie-ins and things like that. And we don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case with this. Mm -hmm. That being Mm -hmm. said, we do know Kang will be the villain in Quantumania. So we know that there is definitely some tie there. And yeah, is it going to be something that people who watch Loki are like, oh, I get that. Right. And or is it going to be people who didn't watch Loki are going, what the hell? Right. <laughs> or is it going to be that happy meeting? Right. I think you're right. And I feel like this feels like deja vu. Like, I feel like we may have talked about this on this podcast before. But I think the MCU is I think the MCU is at a point where you mostly do have to have seen every some of this stuff. Yes. Uh, WandaVision and and and. Loki, I think, are going to be not required viewing, but pretty important viewing. Yeah. I, I, I feel like they have gotten to the point, and maybe they're wrong, but I think they might be right, gotten to the point where they think they are, you know, they have movies making billions of dollars and everyone watches them, and so they can do that. I feel like they think they do have such an install base now that they can have required viewing because I think they can kind of trust enough people do the required viewing that the the loyalty will be rewarded and they will make money. And so I don't think you're wrong. And, and I think it is traditionally something that is a problem. I just think the MCU might think they're in the spot to get away with it at this point. Yeah. And the fact that they got away with it from end, with Endgame probably proves them right to an extent. Yeah. Yep. Uh, um, so I remembered the two things I was going to say. Good. I said Bad Batch and that reminded me. That over the course of five days, this is going back to my feelings about how I'm not going to know how I feel about this episode for another five years. <laughs> um, so I've really enjoyed Bad Batch. And uh, stop me. I, I can be vague if you want, but I can give some mild Bad Batch spoilers here. Yeah, uh, I'm, not, I'm not too worried about spoilers. Okay. So, so, all right. So, um, <laughs> so last week's episode, um, which came out just you know, oh, five days ago. I know exactly what you're going to say now. You you do yeah because I um uh, I I really enjoyed last week's episode of Bad Batch but it was it's an episode in the middle of the season that suddenly was not about the Bad Batch at all they showed up for about a minute and a half in one scene in the middle of the episode because this episode was about a character from Rebels I didn't um, know that until after I watched the episode and I was like why did we just spend all this time with this character I know that okay. because I keep seeing her picture on Twitter yes um uh, and that episode ended and Hera okay so it's Harrison Dulla mm-hmm. who is Probably one of my favorite Star Wars characters. She's great. Uh, have 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 you finished the campaign in Squadrons? No, Squadrons? not yet. Do it. Okay, I know. Go. I know she's in it, and I and like that is one of the main reasons I want to play it. Honestly, um, but yeah. So so this is a prequel episode. It's Hera's Sandella's origin story, and also the Bad Batch are there for for a couple minutes. And the episode ended, and like it was fun seeing Hera. It was fun seeing Chopper, and I hope that they come back to this next week. Otherwise I'm going to go, I'm going to wonder why they did this episode. And they did the, it was apparently the first part of a two part storyline. And this episode was all this week's episode is all about the bad batch and Hera together. And I was like, all right, okay. They, they, they paid it off the next week. If it had just been a one-off episode and here's how Hera became Harrison Dulla. I would have thought that was just a weird thing to do. But bringing the Bad Batch into the second episode made it okay. That's how I'm feeling about Kang right now. If you introduce Kang just to have him introduced in Loki to use him elsewhere, it's going to be weird. But if season two deals with Kang the Conqueror and his new TVA and Loki dealing with that, I'll feel better about it. So that that's that's why I wanted to bring up the Bad Batch. And I think it makes sense now. <laughs> 
It's interesting you saying this is reminding me of the episode of DuckTales that was very clearly a stealth Darkwing Duck um, yeah. uh, pilot. pilot. Yeah, backdoor and pilot. Honestly, like I loved that episode. And then at the end, I realized, wait, this was just a Darkwing Duck pilot. And somehow that felt like, I felt like betrayed and angry <laughs> by that <laughs> You guys. The only reason I feel betrayed and angry is that they're not making that Darkwing Duck show. Yes. Do you guys think that there is a chance that Loki shows up in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania? I yes. I, I think there's a chance he shows up in any number of things now. Yes. What an amazing! I wouldn't be surprised to see him in Doctor Strange. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in Ant Man. What an amazing combo that I've never thought of before, but that now I've always wanted to see Paul Rudd's Ant Man and. Uh, Tom Hiddleston's Loki interacting with each other would it, that just sounds like a dream? And now this, interrupting with interacting with Jonathan Majors as Kang, like see, and and this is what I love the MCU. Uh, my favorite thing about the MCU, I've said a hundred times, is weird character pairings, yeah. and Loki and Ant Man would be near the top yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. So another thing I wanted to say real quick, and then we can move on. I promise is. We talked about our reactions to this episode and there was one reaction I saw out there in social media that several people were having that I did not appreciate. And I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of people saying, well, at least it was better than WandaVision because they didn't pull a Mephisto. And by pull a Mephisto, I mean, they thought Kang was going to show up and then he did. So they were happy. They They thought Mephisto was going to show up on WandaVision. He didn't. So they were upset. Being surprised is a good thing. Yes. Knowing what's happening is bad. And and it's not always bad to have a theory that ends up being proven right either, because that just means that there was some logic to it. Right, 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 right. But just because you thought Mephisto was going to show up because he was a part of the comics doesn't mean that him not showing up in WandaVision is bad. Him showing up in WandaVision, in hindsight, having seen every episode, would not have made any sense. Yeah, it's just like, I, I know I said this in the Discord, so if you are a Patreon, you know this. And if you want to be a Patreon, you can know this. But it reminds me a lot of what a lot of the negative reaction, and I'll be watching Patrick's face as I say this, a lot of the negative reaction was to The Last Jedi, which was, this was not the movie I constructed in my head. Full disclosure, I was one of those people in that it was not the movie I constructed in my head, and it was jarring for me to like, well, this is not... Not what I expected from my Star Wars movie. Now, where I separate myself is I removed myself from my emotions over that and saw the movie for what it was, I, and I very much liked The Last Jedi. I could get more into what I don't like and do like, etc. but my point is... That's for our often threatened Star Wars podcast. <laughs> Teach me how to do that with The Rise of Skywalker. I want to get there <laughs> I wish I could, too. <laughs> so here's the problem. Here's the problem. You're actually helping me on my point. Okay, so The Last Jedi was not the Star Wars movie that I that I had in my head. And that was jarring, but I appreciate it for what it is. I am not a professional Hollywood writer. I am not good at writing fiction. So my fan theories are not necessarily what should happen. Rise of Skywalker was the Star Wars movie I had in my head. And <laughs> so <laughs> I have I, I mean I we don't need to go down another Star Wars rabbit hole in this podcast, but I basically have had so like like Chris and, and Eduardo get to different spots on how they feel about King in this. That's how I am with Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, where 
my last Jedi reaction was an initial like, this isn't what my headcanon was. And then finding comfort with that and finding value in the fact that I was surprised and challenged a little bit and end up liking the show or liking the movie. And then Rise of Skywalker was the other way around where it was. And, and I sat in there with Eduardo and I left that theater going, that's awesome. That's what Star Wars is supposed to be. And then like the next day, I'm like, ah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the point is being excited about being right can be good. Being angry about being wrong is only good if what was done instead is, is bad. Mm-hmm. The important thing is not your fan theory being correct. The important thing is good, entertaining writing. Right. And we trust these people to be good, entertaining writers. We should be willing to be along for the ride. And then stop giving them the, our attention and money when they prove themselves to not actually right. be good. But we're, I'm not paying Disney Plus to write my stories for me because I'm bad at that. And no one wants to see it, including me. I'm paying Disney Plus to write things for me and surprises are good. When I'm surprised and it's good, that's a good thing. End of rant. I agree. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you said. And so we do get a post credit scene. Sort of. Kind of. All it really says is Loki season two. It reminded me a little bit of the Book of Boba Fett one, but even less yeah. so because that one at least did something. And this one was literally just mm-hmm. Loki season two confirmed. That, that had cool music and fat Fortuna. did Fortuna. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hear, hear me out on this. I, I, I loved it. I think the best post-credit scenes uh, make you say, wow. And when this happened, I jumped out of my seat and I said, golly, I love this. I'm super excited. Um, my wife was like, why? Every show has a season two. And I was like, no, no, it does not. She's like, doesn't WandaVision have a season two? No. <laughs> doesn't Falcon, Falcon have a season two? No, thank God. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> this one in particular, uh, I am so hyped. And uh, in the future, you know, I'll look back on this post-credit scene and think, oh, that's not as good. But I was, I was, I was hyped. I think everyone on this podcast had heard the rumors that there was already going to be a Loki season two. Like we had, I think we had discussed it at some point. So I don't think anybody here was uh, shocked by the news that there would be a season two. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't shocked, but I was pleased. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think I said, yes. (laughs) Well, and Robbie has been hyping up this thing and I'll just say it now. Uh, this last episode felt like one giant post-credit scene. It felt like what post-credit scenes typically do, which set up the future. They, they plant some nuggets in there for you. You don't typically get any character development and you kind of do, there's just a little bit of exposition. This was a lot of expedition exposition, but it did definitely plant a bunch of nuggets and, you know, kind of really set up the future more than anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of, I think that's actually really spot on analysis because it really does, as I look at it, feel like season five was kind of the the end of our big story arc with our climactic ending. Really Have you been to TVA? Do you know what happens in season five? Episode five. <laughs> and then we get this hype for what's coming. Right. And yeah, that's what it feels like. It feels like this was the post credits of episode five. I also think it's weird. We kind of talked about this before and then listeners, we were actually sitting there talking about this and going, wait, wait. We need to talk about this on the episode because um, Soundlord was mentioning that it's weird that we wouldn't really have post-credits at sh- scenes in this show except for in one episode, um, which is true because that's kind of a Marvel staple and we didn't really have it here except for once 
And I feel like it was really weird in that episode. I think it was really weird that we had, it wasn't just a, a cool little like setup for what's coming that most, most of the, the post credit scenes, if you miss them, it's not going to completely mess up the next episode. Like if you're, if you don't know what's going on and you back out of Disney plus, it's not necessarily going to mess things up when you don't see the next episode. The, the, the end credit scene in episode, what was it? Episode four? Absolutely does. Mm-hmm. Absolutely key to the next episode. Does not make sense because they don't, they don't replay that scene at the start of the episode. They just, uh, they do in the previous on Loki. But they don't replay that scene. It is used as key story for the transition from episode four to five. And that's, again, I'm not banging on this drum. This is terrible. But it's just weird to me that the one post-credit scene they had in this whole series I don't even think should have been a post-credit scene. It should have probably been the start of episode four and you're left on a cliffhanger or the end of episode uh, or start of episode five, end of episode four, one or the other. I think it's weird as a post-credit scene, especially when there are no other post-credit scenes in the series. Where I will disagree with you on that a little bit is... Fine. <laughs> I Oh, this is payback for you disagreeing with me about season finales or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it did work for me as a post credit scene. One, because they do play into the top of the previously on, so you could be like, oh crap, I missed something, I guess. Um, but what the experience that I got watching that episode, Loki gets pruned. Sylvie says, you're going to tell me everything. Cut to credits. And it's like, oh my gosh. Like, we just saw two characters that we love get pruned. And as far as we know, they're gone. And we're so they're going how what what's going to happen next so we're sitting there and i think the credits were like it was quieter music in that episode right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you're just kind of sitting there with your emotions and then all of a sudden we cut to somewhere else which we have never done after the credits in the show before and we're left with that image of of the can of four loki um staring at him and then that's what you're left with. That's your new lasting impression of the episode. And now you have a hundred more questions. I feel like that scene wouldn't have worked as the end of the episode. It wouldn't have worked if we saw it immediately after he got pruned. And I think that the episode cut to credits is stronger with Sylvie threatening Renslayer. Like as the end of the episode, I think that's strong. And I think putting it at the beginning of the next episode would have felt weird because then a scene just happens. But having this introduction that leaves you with more questions, that feels like a good post credit scene to me. But but I but I understand but again in hindsight, if this whole series only having one scene like that and having it be in the middle of the season is weird. I you know, I, I don't disagree there. Yeah, I think that's a key part of how I feel about it is not just the, that's a weird post-credit scene. It's more of a, that's weird for that to be, if you're not doing post-credit scene, it's weird that you did it there. I think that's what I mean more. Because with Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision, it's like the last two or three episodes have them. But like once they start having them, they keep having them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, now we're at the point where we're teasing for the next episode. Mm-hmm. And and it works. It works. Yeah. All right, well, oh, and uh, oh, I was going to say, and the Falcon, not Falcon, the WandaVision post-credit scenes did have to do with the next episode because 
that's where we were introduced to Ralph Boner. The well, yes. <laughs> yeah, because that's when he Snoopers going to snoop, and that's when uh, Monica gets you know caught by Ralph. Yeah. And also, that's where we are first introduced to the White Vision. Yeah, I guess it just. Yeah, you're right. You're right with the White Vision one. I guess I, I think probably the big difference is just that it wasn't a one-time thing. Yes. And it wasn't so different from so important and so like if I didn't see Monica get captured by Ralph Boner, I'd be a little confused, but not not as confused as wait, what's happening? Because he's dead. Like. Uh-huh. It's, Again, not not a strong feeling that I feel like going to war over. Just something that hits me a little weird. Let's rate the episode. I'll start. Okay. I'm going to give Loki episode six, eight Powerpuff Girl references out of ten. Patrick, what about you? I gave it nine nice noses out of ten. I'm going to give it 7.5 apples out of ten. And I'm going to give it eight vaguely threatening holograms out of ten. So it's uh, it's finally time to talk about this this thing as a whole, right? This series. We're done with the episode now. The series itself. How does the series stand up? What do you, how do we think as a whole? How was Loki season one? What do you think? Fantastic. I, I it didn't stick the we talked about just got to stick the landing, and it somehow made all the mistakes that we were worried about, and yet pulled it off in ways that I like. I don't. I don't think I feel as highly after the finale as I did going into the finale when I, I think I texted you guys that this might be the finest television show I've ever seen in my life or something. Like that. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, we're talking like it dropped a hair through the course of that finale. And I think I feel even better about it talking with you guys about it. So I, I, I mean, it's fantastic. I, the music, the acting, the, the, the storyline, the themes, I, I don't know anyone, anyone, no, no, no one disagrees. Right. No, I was engaged throughout. Mm-hmm. I loved every minute. Mm-hmm. Um, coming off the last series, I was a little wary, um, but I, I was happily surprised and couldn't wait for the next mm-hmm. episode. Can't wait for season two. Yeah, being excited about episodes again. Like, oh, instead yeah. mm-hmm. of, ah, uh, here we go, Amazing. it's Wednesday, I gotta do my Wednesday <laughs> ritual. <laughs> and for for like, you all especially, you had to watch yeah. it more than once. A real sad, it's Wednesday, my dudes. <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> I, I remember, I remember, I know I shared it, but the 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 okay meme the, with honey it's time for your falcon and the winter soldier okay like, <laughs> that, that's how it felt yeah. and this felt more like i need it to be wednesday again i need to get home to watch loki i need like uh, i i was coming home not i work in florida i was coming home not taking showers until after i had watched loki it's it was good to be excited again yep yeah i loved it <laughs> Yeah, it was. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. I think. Uh, I think it's one of the more rewatchable ones out of the mm-hmm. uh, Netflix or Disney Plus shows that we've seen yeah. so far. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And I think absolutely. it's also one of the better pieces of MCU. Uh, I think it's one of the better pieces in the MCU, including the films as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say of the three Disney Plus shows, it's uh, one of the top two rewatchable ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where does this fit into the MCU? Uh we're going to find <laughs> out, but it seems like it is dictating the entire rest of the MCU. <laughs> this is yeah. the most and, interesting and this the question entire, has ever been yeah. to me thinking about Previous. it. 
It dictates everything before it ends. Yeah, you're not wrong. Like, it literally does. <laughs> feels pretty right. big. Yeah. Like, we know that Spider Man's going to have multiverse implications, right? We know that, right? We know. Uh, yeah. So. We know there's literally a movie called Multiverse of Madness. We know that this is the villain of a movie that Quantum Mania has to be about time travel shenanigans. Um, it, it, we have introduced a Fantastic Four villain. We have introduced a. Uh, a perfectly capable ultimate phase ending villain like and we've added our ability to expand what we do and i think they did it the right way i think they did a good job of saying okay we're gonna have multiverses in in mcu now but we're gonna do it in such a way that the multiverse wasn't happening before and is happening now so so you're not stuck with why didn't this happen in endgame and why didn't that happen in infinity war you now have now there is a multiverse because it was being carefully manicured by this dude. Now it's not being carefully manicured. So here, go have fun with multiverse implications. I feel like it allows us to have, you know, we had a whole theoretical conversations about what happens with a multiverse that kind of can muddy some waters, but it can also be fun. And so I think they've done it smartly where it doesn't muddy, mud, didn't muddy the waters for three excellent phases. And now we can go ahead and we got through that and that was all great, but we need something new and fresh. Let's try muddying the waters now. I, I, I really think that's smart, and I'm, I'm always, always afraid of multiple universes and always afraid of time travel, but because of all the MCU has given me, I'm happy to see them try it. I just, as long as it's not all multiverse all the time from now on, I'll be happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think it's a great concept, and I think in the right places it's going to be fun, but I don't need everything to be about the fate of the multiverse now or the multiverse is affecting this this way i suspect phase four might largely be all multiverse all the time but that's not necessarily the mcu going forward right yeah we know of two probably three movies that are all going to deal with the multiverse Mm -hmm. uh i mean we we know multiverse of madness we assume because of what we have heard spider-man and because of kang's involvement in quantum mania it is another safe assumption to deal to say that you're going to deal with yeah. multiverse in some way in that movie as well. Mm-hmm. Now, a reminder that Multiverse of Madness was supposed to have come out before this show. Yep. And before Spider-Man. That. You're right, and I hadn't thought oh. of that. Wow. And now it's coming out I after both those things. So I don't think I wanted to know that. Oh, so- <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Just because now I'm... Uh, wow, yeah. Okay. I, I think it's just what it means is that we're getting a slightly different Doctor Strange movie than they might have initially. Well, they planned. changed directors. I hope right? that's what it means. <laughs> well, yeah, but that okay. was yeah, but but the delay was because of the pandemic, right. not because of the director swap. I, so yeah, it'll be wow. interesting. Here's a segment I'm really excited for: MVPs, because there's a lot to discuss here. Robbie, we'll start with you. Who's your MVP for Loki season one? It takes me back to when we first started this podcast. And I vividly remember a conversation we had in our planning chat when Peaches said, and I think it was when we were doing Thor, and it may have even been before that when we were just thinking ahead to what we were doing. But Peaches said the challenge is going to be not picking Loki as the MVP in every movie he's in. And I remember we all thought that's funny and true. Like it's just going to be Tom Hiddleston all the time. Tom Hiddleston, every time Tom Hiddleston's in a movie. And then that wasn't the case. We never stopped loving Loki, but we always found different people to be our, not always, but often found different people to be MVPs in our films that had Loki. Um, And I just, I think about that a lot. It's one of those things that I think back on the history of this podcast that's been 
more successful and more fun than I expected. And one of our early conversations about MVP is going to be boring when Loki's in the movie, and it's not. And yet here, I feel, and I know where I'm going with this, I feel very strongly that it's obviously Loki in this. Uh, Tom Hiddleston, I feel like, was phenomenal. Loki carried a show called Loki. Um, He is the main reason I was watching this show. And so I thought it was obvious that Loki is the MVP of the show. For once, for once we were right that obviously it's Loki. And I am looking at the notes, and I will pass (laughs) it on to Chris. But I feel like me saying this is important as we continue through the MVPs. Okay, so you're passing to me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also picked Tom Hiddleston as Loki. And his brief cameo as different Loki, President Loki. Um, Because we got so much character development for this character that we've known for so long. And he had a challenge of going back to Avengers mindset Loki. And then getting him to something that's not only closer to what we do in Ragnarok and Infinity War, but beyond that and different. And he, he succeeded. And it just has been really... I'm just so glad to still have Loki around in mm-hmm. the MCU in some way, in a way that doesn't feel like a cheat after his death in Infinity War. That death still has meaning. Mm-hmm. And they found a way to thread that needle of bringing him back, but not ruining that moment. And and he took it and he ran with it. And it is just so obvious how much he loves and cares about this character and this universe, really. I read an interview with uh, Richard E. Grant uh, a couple days ago, and he talked about how the reason he took this job was because he wanted to work with Tom Hiddleston. And he just talked about how when he you know, got to set, he just sat there uh, for like two hours talking about Loki with Tom Hiddleston. He talked about just the depth of understanding of Loki MCU Loki, comic Loki, mythological Loki, just the depth of understanding that Tom Hiddleston has of the character. And it, he is Loki. Uh, and and it's uh, it's great. And, and, and that is why he is my MVP. Uh, so I am now going to pass it to, to Patrick. I can't disagree with anything you all said about Tom Hiddleston. He's wonderful. I loved every uh, moment he was on screen. Um, I don't know, I wasn't I guess I wasn't sold on all of the writing for him in the show. So um, that being said, I have to go with Kang, uh, but not really. I went with Mobius. Um, if there was more of Kang, I probably would have went with him. But um, uh, Mobius, uh, well, uh, Owen Wilson, I am not a fan, but now I am. So I'm really excited to see him in the, the future of the MCU. Um, I was unaware that he, he was able to act like this. So I'm just really blown away with um, Owen Wilson's performance, performance as Mobius and Eduardo. I once again... Not once again. I agree with Patrick. I probably would have given it to Kang if we got more. If we had more Jonathan Majors, it would be an easy vote for Jonathan Majors. I agree with that. I actually agree with that. It would be very easy. However, since we didn't, my gut tells me that the true answer is, in fact, Mobius. I think Tom Hiddleston's best scenes in this whole thing are when he is opposite Owen Wilson. The best yeah, scenes in this whole absolutely. show are Owen Wilson, besides Jonathan Major's monologue, are when Owen Wilson and Loki are sitting in a room talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Those are hands down the best scenes. Mm-hmm. When Loki and Loki. When Loki and Loki, right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And 
Tom Hiddleston's great. I have sung Tom Hiddleston's praises uh, all over the place. That being said, Owen Wilson was so good in this series. He was so good in an unexpected way for me. You told me that Owen Wilson was going to be in this as like a side character in the Loki series. And your mind, at least my mind, immediately goes to, oh, he's going to be another plucky MCU sidekick that's sort of comic relief, makes the jokes while the main character does his thing. And that's not what he is at all. He is so multifaceted in this. He has so much more to do. He has so much more to say. He has so much range. He is a liar just like Loki. He is a better person than Loki. He's funny. He's he's sort of tragic. He's such a great character. It, I mean, I love Loki. I love Loki to death. But it makes it really hard not to pick Mobius. I mean, I agree. I agree. I, I do not disagree with a word y'all say about Mobius. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's great. And Eduardo, I know you said that you were not like an expert on him. So I'd like to pitch to you now a podcast where we go through the entire Owen Wilson filmography. Oh, Wilson-verse. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll call it Noan Wilson. Oh, shit. <laughs> we, assemble, we reassemble Owen Wilson movie by movie, wow by wow. Wow by ka-chow. <laughs> all right series ratings patrick it's finally time i hope you thought of something what are you gonna rate oh (laughs) what are you gonna add it a little higher um i'm gonna pull it back a little bit i'm giving it nine loki's loking oh i like that uh i am giving it nine gods of outcasts out of ten uh how about you robbie i'm giving it nine prune sticks out of 10 and i will give it nine the true hero of the show alligator loki's out of 10 yeah and that's gonna do it for loki uh wow Wow. what an incredible series i need to know what you guys think we didn't i have we haven't put it in here we typically do a ranking we haven't thought of our rankings i don't know what you guys think your rankings are where you would put it I meant to suggest we start ranking the series. At, at the yeah. very I least, I have my ranking ready. If you're at the ready, very yeah, least, you your three series ranking of the Disney Plus shows, Chris. Since you're ready, we'll start with you. And I, I think I might be alone on this. And it's very close. Wandavision, Loki, Falcon, and the Winter Soldier. Wandavision, just for me, the whole concept of the TV show thing, it just hits like a very me set of interests is like the show is tailor-made for me and and that's it that puts it a hair above loki for me but i i adored this show as well so mine's ready as well okay um oh were you done i'm done oh okay um because mine's ready as well Uh, i may be alone on this but very close i'm going wandavision hair above loki well above Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Okay, so I'm it's not just, alone. So I loved Loki. I loved Loki. I really did. But WandaVision, the way it brought in sitcoms, just kind of hit a core part of me. <laughs> and I just... Bobby, I appreciate really you. Really because of that. Really because of the its use of the sitcoms. And I'm also going to say how just absolutely amazing I thought Elizabeth Olsen was. I'll say that oh, as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just that, that sitcom usage is just what puts it slightly over the edge for me. Um, hey, so 23 Wanda- Emmy nominations can't be wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Wanda... Oh, man, the way... Wait, so I was just trying to parrot Chris, but now I'm just going off on it. It's just, 
Like, I just remember when I realized, oh, they're doing Malcolm in the Middle. Like, I just... Anyway. What a special show that was. <laughs> WandaVision, really. just slightly, and mostly because of a personal reason above Loki, both of them way ahead of Falcon Winter Soldier. Either yes. of you ready yet? And that makes me sad, by the way, because I love ready. Captain America. Oh, it just just by a hair for me. Wow, the finale really didn't do it for me on WandaVision, so I'm giving it to Loki. Mm. Followed by WandaVision, followed by Cats, the movie starring Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, I am once again on Team Patrick. I ed- it edges WandaVision just slightly for me, but I think I put Loki right at the top. I there's just some of the things that Loki is doing in here. I think maybe I connect with the character a little more with the story that they are trying to tell here. I connect a little bit more of this idea of it is never too late to better yourself. Um, I really enjoy that type of story, this idea of no matter how irredeemable the world thinks you are, you always have a path to redemption. Um, so I think some, some of that stuff, once again, it's more personal than anything. I think those shows are so close in, in how special they are. And I think they are special because they are so unique. They do so, the things that they are doing are so different and disconnected from the rest of the MCU, except Loki literally feeds into the rest of the MCU and so does sort of the end of WandaVision. But th- the style in which they do them are so different from the rest of the MCU. I think, uh, at least for me, Loki is just just a hair for me a little better than WandaVision. But I mean, ask me tomorrow and in my opinion might change. Same, same. I think that's going to do it for this episode, guys. And it's going to do it for uh, for Loki. Keep an ear out. We should probably next week after you hear this, uh, we'll have an episode for Black Widow. And then past that, only surprises, mostly because we haven't really talked about what we're doing in between this and what if. So be on the lookout. Are we going to listen? Are we going to finally make Robbie watch Venom? I really want to. Uh, <laughs> Chris hasn't seen it either, right? No, oh, shit. We have to now. Uh-oh. I haven't seen it, so I'd, I'll watch it. I'd watch it if you, if you guys do an episode. And I'm watching it. Now. I feel like, from what I know about Venom, I'm not going to hate it. I'm just going to be annoyed that it's completely disconnected from Spider-Man. That is my yeah. uh, my assumption going in. And maybe as another small teaser for anyone who listens to this show and is a theme parks fan, we have a very special episode oh, yeah. planned. I'm so excited. Uh, I forgot. So be on the lookout for all of these things and more coming up. Remember when I said we didn't hadn't talked about stuff here. We talked about it here, right on air. Woohoo. But before we go, I want to give a big shout out to our Patreon. If you want to support this show, you can do so over at patreon.com slash assembly required. Huge, huge, huge shout outs to our Avengers level patrons, Brian and Riley. If you want to email us any of your thoughts, concerns, if you want to suggest we watch something, go ahead and do so. Assembly required cast at gmail.com. If you want to follow uh, the show on Twitter, it is at assembly cast. You can follow all of us individually. It's going to be D underscore Peaches for Peaches, who is not here, but he's going to return. He'll make his triumphant return. It's going to be Gator Sacks 2010 for Chris. Two. It's going to be Phil Kid 3 for Robbie. And Patrick, do you want us to, 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 to pimp anything? Uh, no, I, I, I have no <laughs> It's okay. If you don't want to, that's okay. I, I have no social media. No. <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for myself. Well, that's probably smart. <laughs> that's going to do it for myself, <laughs> for Robbie, for Chris, for Patrick. We love you, 3000. Bye, everybody. Excelsior. Hey, Hydra.
Boobity boobity. Hey, impressive! Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> That's one of those branching timelines. <laughs> the universe where the only difference is Green Goblin shouted interesting when Spider-Man tried to punch him. Yeah, he just says interesting and then a time door opens behind him. <laughs> yeah. You're under arrest by the Time Variance Authority.